This is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast with me, your host, Loki S. Jerson. And over there is my friend, Joe. Do you have a middle initial? Stizzy. Uh, Joe Big J Stizzy. I don't know. Yeah, that was totally worth that effort to think about that joke. Yes. Uh, I could do better. Give me time. Yeah, I can edit it. It's fine. Give me till the Just end come of the up, show. Come up with one later. I'll put it in here in the intro. Stizzy, what have you been playing since we've last talked? Oh, so many games, Loki. Uh, Pick like two. S. Jarson. Is that your middle initial? Well, I just, 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 the, I literally on Friday, because it's Sunday, finished Dark Souls 3. And before that, I beat Dark Souls 2, because that's that's the order that they came out. That's how numbers work. That's math. Yeah, yes. You really blazed, you kind of blazed through all three of these games. I was very surprised at how... I don't want to say easy a time you've had, but certainly a quick time you've had. Yeah, I I kind of surprised myself. I wouldn't call them easy per se, but I definitely felt like I got the hang of them eventually. Mm-hmm. That's not to say I didn't die about half a hundred times in each each installment, but mm-hmm. there were probably more. And they were fun. They were very tense. Uh, I will say two is my least favorite. That's generally the consensus on both with me and the rest of the internet. Mm-hmm. Thinks of all eight of these dumbass games that Dark Souls Two is the worst one. Yeah, it was. It was still enjoyable. It was still Souls, but I just I found the locations lacking, the boss designs for the for majority of them pretty uninspiring. Um. Just regular enemies, just kind of, you know, what you expect from a Souls game. But, mm-hmm. yeah, other than that, it just, it was, it, plus it was just, when you count in the base game, the DLC, it was just way too long. I, it took me over 60 hours to beat everything, just one playthrough, and I thought, this is way too long for this kind of game. <laughs> I was going to say, for a JRPG, that's just under, but for the kind of game Dark Souls is, where you're just constantly tense. Yeah, That's for, too long to be tense. Exactly, yeah. For for a very high-stress action RPG, it's, it's yeah, a little too much for me. I'd say between, I don't know, 30 or 40 hours, which is what Dark Souls, the first and third game, come in at. Mm-hmm. I think with the first one, I it was about, it was about 34 hours with the DLC and... Uh, with three, I came in. I think about forty-three hours with both DLCs and base game and all that. And three was definitely, I liked it a lot better than two. I thought it it like one. It had some really memorable boss fights, you know, which are just kind of the cornerstone of the series. And I thought, for the most part, most of the fights in three were had really really cool art designs, really awesome locales Mm -hmm. uh memorable memorable fights for the most part there were some fights like i think the you fight a big tree you just gotta you you attack its cyst that just (laughs) more it's more annoying than anything but there were very very few very uh just plain boring fights in three i think for the most part had some really really good uh good ones but yeah they're all solid games um i will say though I know mm-hmm. it's just it, this is kind of part of Soul's identity, and I guess for the most part, internet fans have learned to love it because they're just huge masochists or whatever. But the uh, quest design, yeah. Uh, but the 
but the quest mo- quest design in these games is absolutely atrocious. It just is. I wouldn't argue that there's even quests to be designed because at the time we're recording this, we were a few weeks away after uh, Elden Ring has made, which is the eighth one of these damn things. And I don't care who's writing them. I don't care who's programming them. All these games. Demon, Dark One, Two, Three, Bloodborne, Sekiro, Elden Ring. I'm probably forgetting one. They're all the same game, kind of game. So you change the paint, maybe you fix the control scheme, maybe you change weapon degradation, but they're basically all the same kind of game. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. They all have a different coat of paint, uh, as far as at least as far as Bloodborne and Sekiro go. I still, I still maintain Sekiro is my favorite of the from, from Software games. I played a little Bloodborne, couldn't get into it. Haven't played Demon Souls, the original or the remake, so can't say. And I haven't played Elden Ring yet, so that list may change. But uh, I think I, I just prefer the gameplay of Sekiro. Not that the I didn't like the gameplay of Souls, but it's very different, very slower paced. And, As you described it, it was the marriage of both mechanic and setting. You really enjoyed the feudal Japan setting of Sekiro. Yeah, it, it, I, it just I ended up liking the whole package of Sekiro mm-hmm. in general, whereas Dark Souls. I ended up liking it, for the most part, liking more than not liking. But there was there's some things I, you know, wasn't a, you know, big fan of uh, <laughs> mechanics wise, at sure. least too. I I got I got used to the action. It it is, it gets better as the series go on. I will admit, but at the core, it's still pretty much the same. It's it relies on just kind of anticipating attacks and dodging or blocking and uh, re- stamina and uh, what is it FP or magic resource management and all that mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah basically they're just all the pretty much all the same game but just a little bit three felt like they took the feedback and overall praise of bloodborne and just said hey let's make some areas that are just straight from bloodborne make it feel like a uh, very gothic yes yeah because three did come after bloodborne and yes uh and those parts i i don't know i didn't i didn't hate but i just that kind of old victorian style i don't know it, it i like it in some things some movie tv shows games i liked it but maybe it was just the general you know meshed the setting meshed with the mechanics and bloodborne right because at that point, I hadn't really had much experience at all in the Soul series and or From Software games, and I think I played like <laughs> a little bit of the first Dark Souls on 360. Got past the first tutorial boss, and that was about it. And just kind of like, oh, this is just this game's kind of dumb. I don't like that I lose all my shit when I die, so I'm not gonna bother. So has that attitude changed, or you've just dealt with it better over the decade? I just dealt with it better over, I guess. Um, it helps that you... It helps a lot in these games that you know what is what going in. Yeah. Whether, you know, whether it's how the game works, you know, losing, dying has repercussions. If you want to recover your souls, you got to go pick them up. If you die again, you lose them. Plus knowing all the where all the enemies are and ambushes and boss tactics and all that stuff. It 
not that I, I'm not saying I spoiled my, on myself on anything. I, I tried to, I have a little pride left, not much, but it's still <laughs> deep, deep down. I tried to go into most, most of these games totally blind first time. There were some instances where I would go into an area and I would go around I, and I couldn't get to a new area or I couldn't figure out where to go next. And that's, those are the times when I would cave and look it up because these games, they just don't, they don't help you whatsoever. There, there's a lot of idiots who think that's great design because, oh, you just explore. It's like at some point you get tired of exploring. I just want one NPC. I want one sign marker. I want one tiny marker to say go here that's it you don't have to tell me how to get there just say go there it's like okay i know what i'm looking for chapel of the dead horse or whatever mm-hmm. okay i'll find it once i see a sign that says chapel of dead horse left oh sweet yeah or if you talk to an npc and they said okay i'll see you later and then you have a you open up a journal and it says uh so such and such said they're going to oh, the catacombs next bl- you're speaking blasphemy here sis. people hate the idea of having a quest log Oh, no. It would make it like every other kind of game. Oh! Yeah, yeah, it's... Very weird. It's very weird, the attitude towards this game from the fandom, because... And I I always wonder, and this might be a discussion for another show or another time, but I've always kind of wondered if it's kind of... uh, I don't want to say, like, antithesis or just maybe overcompensation from from the fan base in spite to, to literally just spite games like, you know, the Assassin's Creed or Elder Scrolls or Far Cry or what have you, where uh, in those games, especially Activision, I will, or Ubisoft, excuse me, I will say a lot of their games just, they kind of, it's a little information overload. So, and you know, a lot of, a lot of gamers, don't like that, but hey, it, for me, it's I take it by game by game basis. You know, if I like the, sure. you know, if I like the game overall, I can live with that kind of stuff. You know, I don't, and I don't need I don't need to be have my hand held in every single thing, but uh, you know, like we said, just a little little something to go on in the in the Souls games would be nice. Something to get me through these cold, lonely nights. <laughs> yes, so um, lonely. I. I've waxed and waned about the Dark the series entirely. It's like, one, I really had something, I guess, to prove to myself, the first Dark Souls. And so when I got past it, finally, it was, you know, it was a great feeling for me. And so I went on to 2 and then Bloodborne and 3, and it's like, it never hit that high ever again. And what it reminds me of, actually, is something we briefly talked about last time we talked about this, was Ninja Gaiden. You had your own experiences. My experience, uh, not the original NES series, but Ninja Gaiden on the original Xbox, if you recall, and then release the second version, Ninja Gaiden Black, which is the same game. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, I, don't, I can't be bothered to remember the differences. Anyways, I got that way back on the original Xbox. I didn't get terribly far. I think I got to the... Where we have to deal with the Black Spider Ninjas, or whatever they're called, when they just come out of the walls all the time. And it was a fucking nightmare for me. And my brother Nick, who used to be on the show a long time ago, uh, got much further, but he also didn't beat it. And it was just one of those things that just stuck in the back of my mind how annoyed I was. It's like... This is going to be like the first God of War and the first Kingdom Hearts were just a game I was never able to beat. Um, good. Yeah, those games, those those Ninja Gaiden games on the Xbox are, they are challenging games, but they're also very poorly designed games because they, <laughs> ju- it's, they just literally just 
throw a bunch of unfair bullshit at you. You'll get, and it just it gets progressively worse as you go through. And it's those not games. like it's not an RPG like Dark Souls. You can grind and just have more strength to take more hits. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can level up weapons if I remember correctly in Ninja Gaiden, yes. and and your health bar, which those help a little bit, but. It's basically, like I said with the Souls game, it's basically just knowing where the enemies are and what they can, what their attacks like, and how to best counteract them. And it's just trying to will yourself through. And I've beaten, I've beaten one and two, and the, uh, I don't know, I guess the other editions, Black Sigma, what have you. Mm -hmm. I played a little bit of three, never got through that because I think it, the the watching some videos the bosses and enemies and settings are just dumb and stupid and you know, <laughs> uh, got old yeah this is something getting back to it. it's like so years years later you know on ps3 whatever your feelings are on the sigma releases and the re-releases and the letting go of the director whatever they re-released sigma and i rented it and it was a trial but i got through it i beat it they beat ninja gaiden sigma but still i, I did it you know i did, conquered something that you know a decade previous i couldn't and mm -hmm. that was a great feeling yeah so I said, okay, cool, let's go to the second one. And I got a, a few hours into the second one. I couldn't remember how far I got. And I was like, I'm not feeling nothing from this game. Mm -hmm. It's because I had something to prove to myself in that first one. And the second one was like, well, I don't care anymore. That's kind of what I felt about Dark Souls 3. Because I never, I got halfway through it and then kind of went like, well, I guess I don't like these games after all. Yeah, nothing really changes too much between the first and second of the uh, of those games. Although I I do like second because I I think it added some really really cool interesting weapon types to it. Like you get the claws and the excuse me the giant scythe and mm -hmm. uh I think you get a big spear too. But yeah, and, and some nunchucks as well. So it really kind of added some variety to the weapon type, which at the time it seemed like the those games were kind of sort of competing with God of War. I think God of War was a little bit before uh, Ninja Gaiden came God out. God of War it was a different kind of game because you can't button mash in Ninja Gaiden, which is something I tried to do, and you cannot do that. In God of War, you just press you know three buttons over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And plus in God of War, at least the, the older type, older ones in Greece, they basically just had one weapon that you use for all those five games, <laughs> the three main yeah. spinoffs. But yeah, so that was a nice change based on Ninja Gaiden. But yeah, at you know, at its very core, it doesn't really deviate too much. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't know if that I'm ever going to, I've flirted with coming back. You know, I've tried replaying Bloodborne and tried replaying Dark Souls 3. And it's like, just that high isn't there anymore. And I don't, I can't say I don't care. I care a little bit, although I wouldn't try. But, like, with Elden Ring just coming out, there's this huge, I don't like this acronym, but FOMO, the fear of missing out. The idea that happens a lot in big AAA titles where, oh, everybody's playing this game. Why aren't you playing it? And that's always kind of irked me. It's like, why don't I play what I want? Oh, but it's the highest reviewed and it's sold a trillion copies. It's like, what do I fucking care? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't. That doesn't affect me or my enjoyment for something, and or change. It affects your, me in a tangential way, because I see shit about it all the time. I'm very plugged into video game stuff, so you know I see all kinds of things, including a bunch of games I don't care about, and it's like, eh, whatever. You know, I'll move on with my life. But Elden Ring is the new hotness for now, 
So until, I guess, what, E3, it's going to be that way. Yeah, yeah, it, it, probably so. Probably, I, I'd say for the rest of the year, uh, you're going to see it on, on a lot of Game of the Year award lists and all that. And hey, it may deserve those spots. I, I can't say it. Like I said nah. earlier, we I haven't played it. I have no nah, opinion I'm about it. Down. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't okay. need to have played Last of Us Two to know that it sucks. Yeah, although that's a different kind of experience it's not but a... that was the last time there was this sort of vitriol rhetoric of a highly praised game and heaven forbid if you said anything negative about it yeah yeah well i i think that's just i think that's more of a symptom of the times we live in and everybody's <laughs> you know got to be very very progressive and pro tolerance and all that and i'm not saying that stuff's bad i mean it's I don't want to put that out there or anything like that but i think people can sort of go overboard with those those feelings and it can you know it could it can color their perception on a on a game or a movie or tv show what have you so i think that's kind of what we saw with last of us too because you can watch you can watch I, I can't believe i'm saying about a video game because i love video games they're my favorite media entertainment medium but game like Last of Us 2, you can go on YouTube and watch a walkthrough or a Let's Play or whatever, and you can get the gist. Because playing through it, it's nice, but it's a kind of a generic third-person shooter with some sneaking mechanics. You're not really missing anything out of there. It's yeah. not. It's not why people are playing, in other words. So. But uh, is but yeah, but yes. Yeah, as far as Elden Ring goes, yeah, it's 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 very it's almost disconcerting in a way how <laughs> how positive all the feedback is and, and now granted it's not everywhere. I did I was telling you about this the other uh, week or so ago when it came out. I only watched a couple reviews about Elden Ring by uh, YouTubers that I it's the very I very I follow very few and watch even less reviews on games but these two guys i kind of i uh, kind of respect their opinions and they i think they do a pretty good job of reviews and one of them is a big souls souls born fan and he's a big soft from software fan and he had like a 30 minute review and i just kind of put it on his background noise but and i thought he was just he was just gonna sing it to the game to high heaven and he and he kind of does he has a lot of praise for it but he also he he pointed out some of the stuff we did about the bad game design and how in the the Dark Souls games and Demon Souls, you can kind of, they could kind of get away with it because it wasn't really the point of the games. It's We're here for the boss fights. We don't, yeah, yeah it's, it's funny to look at Siegfried in his Onion Knight armor and watch him stumble around and try to take on enemies single-handed and we have to, save his bacon out of the fire or just watch him die that's also entertaining but for an open world game that doesn't really work you need some direction as a player and i i see a lot of comparisons of this for this game with breath of the wild because that's... <laughs> no they're wrong though i don't think they're wrong in saying that it matches a, the style of breath of the wild because Breath of the Wild, the world itself is the game. It's 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 mainly about just exploring the world, 
finding interesting landmarks and then going and seeing what's there and finding new things. And that's a ton of fun. But for Breath of the Wild, at least, because I've played it, played 100 hours, loved it, but the story's garbage. There's hard, There's no character development or, you know, barely any. Uh, the voice acting <laughs> sucks in the game. It's one, some of the worst. It's no excuse for that, for level of voice acting. It, it is a really big game. open world of an empty field of nothing. I mean, that's, I think that's a little unfair to say about it, but it's, right. uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of sameness there. You know, we've said before in the past, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. There's, there's a lot of, once you get past a certain point in that kind of game, you can kind of guess what's going to be over the next hill. So to speak, there's not too many surprises and which is, that's understandable. These games are, they're big, but you can't, you know, you can't make every single encounter or landscape unique and have every quest line, if you will, just be super duper interesting and the best Mm -hmm. ever. And like, what's going to top next, you know, eventually you're just, you're going to start, seeing some patterns in those types of games that's fine if you get if you get dozens of hours of entertainment out of them then it's it's worth it but i i still say i still say the like the elder scrolls open world games morrowind oblivion and skyrim especially oblivion and skyrim i still think those are the best open world games i've ever played because i think they do both great i think they have their exploration aspect down and I think they have great storylines, great quests, good direction, you know, all interesting world, all that. I think that I think it excels in that. And I think that's just kind of what, from my limited exposure and what I've read and he- heard about Elden Ring, it doesn't really have that because it's still the same from software formula. It's still, hey, there's a person you talk to them, exhaust their dialogue, maybe give them something, and then they just piss off. And you may never see them ever again. <laughs> and that's what this one reviewer talked about. He's like, that doesn't work for this kind of game. I need to... Give me something. Give me a clue. Like, hey, this lady said she was going to north-northeast. Okay, that's something. Don't, don't just mm-hmm. go into the ether and you may never see or hear from her again. That's just... That's just going to be hanging in the back of your mind for the rest of the game. I'm wondering how this is going to affect, not necessarily the reviews, but review. I'm hoping it affects review trust greatly, frankly, because I'm fucking sick of. My deal has always been there too too much of it, right? Because how many movie shows for like award shows are there? There's like okay, there's obviously the Oscars, which everyone cares about a whole lot, except for the our audience. Um, there's you know what the foreign Hollywood foreign ones, there's the fucking Golden Globes, you know there's. But there's only like three major ones you care about. And those are the ones that matter and you get those awards. It's great. You know, for Broadway, you have the Tonys and there aren't really anything else. For music, you have the Grammys, which people really care about. And the AMAs, which you care less about. And the Latin, which you care even less about. But for video games, every single fucking review site has their own Game of the Year. So what is Game of the Year? How, who, who, who do you know if uh, later in this year, somebody, I'm sure a dozen, will give it to Elden Ring. Maybe someone will give it to Starfield. Maybe someone will give it to Ragnarok if it actually comes out this year. Maybe someone will go rogue and give it to Horizon Forbidden West. They shouldn't. But it's like there's no consensus on this thing. So just because 100 people says Elden Ring is perfect, that doesn't make me believe them. Because 100 reviewers were fans of those things. Because they didn't give the review copy to non-fans. 
but it sold so well because everybody's saying, oh, it's so great, you should buy this game, the game of the century. And it's like, well, is there going to be any backlash? Is anyone going to learn any lessons? Because we didn't learn them in two years. Are we going to learn them two years from now? Uh, these things bug me. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, and we've talked about this before, but I think the Souls fan base is... It's like a lot of fan bases. I think it's extremely toxic, and it can be... I, I think the most outspoken voices make newcomers feel, feel very unwelcome. And mm-hmm. because that was honestly, that's, that was kind of my biggest hang up with these games is I would go online and if I had a problem with the boss, then I fucking suck. And I needed to, I deserve to die. Yeah. I just, the get, the get good has, was funny to me once upon a time. It's not funny to me anymore. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, every once in a while as a joke, it can work, but, I think the better part of the community is the one that actually helps each other out and so understands that these games are difficult and especially if you're not used to them that maybe give you some pointers because the game and the designers sure aren't going to help you out. So, <laughs> no, they're not. By design. So I I think the I think the fan base should I think they need to become a little more accommodating to newcomers. And I, I kind of wonder with Elden Ring breaking all these records, if there is a, a big sector of new, new fans that bought this game just because they thought, okay, it's open world dark Souls, So maybe it'll be a little easier. And mm-hmm. from what I've heard, it is in the open world areas in the dungeons and what have you, it is pretty standard soul stuff. My, my problem. Uh, so there's there's this idea. I know you know this from playing the games. It's like, well, the get good. It's like, okay, what does get good mean, really? And does it learn attack patterns? No, 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 no. It means, okay, that open world boss is giving you trouble. Ignore him. Go somewhere else. Grind for a few hours so you're strong enough to just take hits. It's like that's not getting better at the game. You're just able to take more hits. But that is a lot of the advice you see in this sort of shit. It's like, yeah, you know, people who've played this a lot and. Are, very good twitch reflexes could probably beat it with minimum armor and stamina and all of that shit. But the people who are saying giving alternate advice, quote unquote, isn't really advice. Yeah, I and don't get me wrong, I think there are fights in the series, at least in one, two, three, where getting good is is the ultimate goal. Um, there's because a lot of bosses you can just cheese. You can either find a super, oh, yeah. super big weakness or some exploit you can do, glitch them out or whatever to take them out. But some fights, you just got to, the only way you're going to beat them is just to learn them. And the only way to learn them is just going in, fighting them, you know, figuring out their attack patterns, all that good stuff. Because uh, you, you can go back and grind, you can strengthen up, but I think that only helps in improve anticipable amount it's it's just a very little gain for minimal effort but i think i don't think there's as many of those fights in these in this series that then most people may think and some of them are optional fights that you just complete or dlc fights that you can just completely ignore if you want to um because the final boss in all three games are kind of jokes to be (laughs) To be perfectly honest, it, it, it's everything that's in between, and and is and 
it's everything in between the bosses themselves that are also the most difficult part of these games. So, mm-hmm. but I just, you know, kind of back to my you know point with newcomers in Elden Ring, I, I, I feel like there is probably a big, you know, you know, big group of people who bought this. This is their first exposure to, to these types of games that bought Elden Ring, had a hard time, weren't enjoying it, but were just kind of afraid to speak up online because of the way the fan base is. How it's mm. just, it's very just kind of it's very unwelcoming and not helpful, very, yeah. Very harsh in its criticism, which I don't. That's how that's not how it should be. That's not how communities should be. Now there's going to be assholes everywhere. I understand that, but yeah, Souls fans they just they kind of they take this weird sense of pride in being able to it, beat it, these games. You see this a lot in every kind of thing. It is tied to your self identity for whatever. You, you pick a thing. It doesn't actually matter what the thing is. But you pick a thing and you decide, I enjoy this so much, it's like it's a part of me. So if you're saying you don't enjoy it, you're insulting me, the person. And that's a fucking stupid-ass way of thinking, but everyone does that, including myself. Uh, admittedly, I try not to, but I, I do, and I will here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's just human nature. We pick a thing that we like, and we decide that that thing is is us. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I, the the favorite things that I the my favorite games that I love all all time, I understand they are also very flawed. They, like I, I said earlier, I love Skyrim. It's one of my favorite games of all time. It's got its issues. I understand <laughs> that. If people want to, <laughs> if people get hung up on those issues and can't play anymore, I totally understand. That's whatever. Yeah, it's just it's just part of maturing. You got to understand, you know, not every not everybody's gonna absolutely see what you experience when you play these games, and they're just they're gonna have, they may have, may have a different time, and it may change their per- perception of that game or their opinion or what have you. So hmm. it's okay. Yeah, it's it's okay. And if you if they want to give it another go, then be there to support them. I mean, I know. It, Sounds super gay, fun time, but it's just, yeah, that's, this, I think this, that's how a community this, should be. This exactly happened to me in Dark Souls years and years and long-ass time ago. Before I think even 2 came out, I played Dark Souls, and I did not have a good time with it. You know, I only got a few hours in. I just hated everything about it. And uh, a long time ago, when we early episodes of this dumb show that I've since deleted off the internet so you can't find them anymore, I think it was like episode 12 of this very podcast I called Dark Souls Sucks. And One of these days, we're going to release was, those tapes. I might. I still have. I still have, do still have the, the raw original audio. It sounds awful. Oh, nice. But anyways, I basically just and did the same thing we're doing now, is bitching about how terrible the community is and how unhelpful it is. So, you know, I watched a couple of LPs years and years later. I watched a couple of Let's Plays. I, you know, checked guides. I looked at maps. I studied boss attack patterns. did all that shit. I was like, okay, what's the best grind spot? What's the cheesiest weapon? What's the strategy for this boss? And eventually, over a month, you know, I did finally get over that hump, and that was a great feeling. But I didn't get individual help, let's say. It was, like, over help. Mm-hmm. Because we talked about this last time, and, like, I never summoned anybody in the first game. And so all these years later, when you're like, hey, I'm going to play Dark Souls finally. I was like, really? You thought you hated this? He's like, well, you're going to give it a shot. Okay, cool, great. I can finally pass on the knowledge. Hey, I beat Dark Souls. No, you were you were extremely helpful, 
and uh, when I was playing through the game, because yeah, especially one, because I think he had the most experience with that game, and yeah, uh, yeah, you were, we were kind kind of comparing notes on our uh, our time with the game, and you, you were telling me about that this one guy that I ended up killing or getting killed or whatever, and you said, well, if if he stays alive, then, Laird, yes, uh, actually no, it's it. I, the instance I'm thinking of was the Golden Knight, whose name I can't remember on my head. The one who kills the Firekeeper at uh, Firelink Shrine. Oh, yeah, game. that guy. Lautrec, uh, Lautrec. Lautrec, that's it, yeah. You were telling me all about this quest that involves him and how you go to a separate universe and it's you got to mm-hmm. fight him and two other NPCs, and I'm like, whoa, 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 I, I had no idea this was going on. That's just <laughs> kind of the. It's kind of how the game is. It's just a lot of that kind of shit that goes on in the background, and you're just... I, I just, I don't, I don't have, me as the player, I don't have time to worry about the other NPCs. I'm just trying to out here survive <laughs> and strengthen up my weapons and my skills and all this. I just, you, people just take care of your own shit for once, all right? <laughs> I'm not, it's not like a, t- yeah, it's not like a typical video game protagonist where I just go around solving everybody's problems, all right? Like, I'm just <laughs> no, out that, here no, for me. No, in these games, you, no, yeah, in these games, you do not solve anyone's problems with your own. Uh, and maybe that's and maybe that's the attitude the community has taken up, because yeah, in in these you know, in, you know what could be because <laughs> in these Souls games it's just kind of like fuck all y'all, I'm just out here for number one, y'all just dick off and worry about your own shit. Well, if you thought that discussion about differences in expectation and playability and tied to identity was hot, who boy? You ain't heard nothing yet. So, there's a game that I've been putting off talking about on this here podcast because you haven't played it yet, really, frankly. I mentioned a little bit with my brother about my enjoyment of it, but I haven't gone to any specifics. Cyberpunk 2077 came out after many, many delays. Frankly, shouldn't have been announced as early as it was. In December of 2020, I played it at launch for a little bit. I didn't put as much time as maybe I should have. Uh, I played it a lot over the next year and, and you know, into 2021 throughout. Uh, how do I formulate this sentence? There are problems on the base consoles of Xbox One and PlayStation 4, technical-wise. So you wanted to wait until those problems were fixed or there was a next-gen console upgrade which finally came out in February of 22. And that's when you played it, right? That is correct, yes. Okay. I just want to set as many facts as possible before we get into opinions here. (laughs) Uh, What did you think of the game? Well, I got a lot of feelings about Cyberpunk. Can I just tell you before... I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. I know I asked you a question. I'm immediately interrupt you, but... That's fine. We do it all the time, I try so very hard in this here podcast. I don't always succeed, but I always try to remain as not neutral, but the ability to see both sides of a thing. It is really hard for me to do that with this game. And it's because I love the setting so much. Cyberpunk, it must be noted, the word, is not a genre, it is a setting. It is the, the window dressing of the kind of game it is. 2077 is a First-person RPG. 
And I've always loved, ever since I was a little kid, the idea of the cyberpunk setting. And to tell you about that, I have to first talk about Star Wars. And by that, I, of course, mean Star Trek. So, when I was a little kid, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. It was like 9, 10. And, you know, what the hell is a 9 or 10-year-old going to do with an old lady? There's nothing to talk about. So I watched a lot of television at her place. And I watched a lot of the sci-fi channel. And I watched a lot of the original Star Trek series, the one from the 60s. They replayed it in the mornings when I spent time over there. And I saw, I think, almost every episode, because they just showed them in syndication on the sci-fi channel. And I saw that before I ever saw Star Wars. Years later, my cousin Jerry, who I've mentioned before on this podcast, the one I stole the Game Boy from, uh, brought over his VHS copy of Star Wars A New Hope. And we watched that movie, and I was like, wow, this is way better than Star Trek. And, you know, more action, more eh, drama. What did I care? I was 10. <laughs> but more interesting stuff happened in Star Wars to me than Star Trek. Would you agree on that? Uh, honestly, I'd have to take your word for it because, full disclosure, I have never gotten into Star Trek. That's fine. Uh, my only exposure is I... I think I've seen, I've seen Wrath of Khan, and I've seen a couple of the newer movies with Chris Pine and you know, what's his name with Spock but uh, other than Zachary that Levi. I never, Not yeah, I never watched Zachary. yeah, yeah I never watched the original or Next Generation any of that so I but I love Star Wars so um, years later after that I saw an interview with George Lucas the creator of Star Wars and he said while he was a huge fan of Star Trek and it influenced a lot of things in Wars he didn't like how clean everything was and I was like, wow, man, this guy really gets it. I understand now. He's putting to words my thoughts. So he says, he always envisioned the idea of the used future. And I always remember that phrase he said, used future. It's a world that's many, many years of technology ahead of us. But they're so far ahead that all that future technology is old, is used, is decrepit. You look at Tatooine and how many people have robots, how many people have speeders, just spaceships, this all this magic mechanic stuff that we in no way will ever have here on this Earth. But it's like, eh, this is part of our day-to-day lives. It's been here for years. It'll be here for years afterwards. They're just yeah. so over this idea of technology as opposed to something like Star Trek where everything is always shiny and new. Yeah, and you're right. It, and But even with all this new amazing technology in this universe, there are still a lot of the same problems that we have. You know, there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's class class and economic discrepancy. There's poverty. There's just there's oh, hunger. Man. There's death. There's wars. There's all this crap that really make it a, feel like a lived-in universe. And I'm right there with you. I've always I've always really appreciated that about Star Wars, even before I knew I did. If that makes sense, <laughs> one of those sure. things because that 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 sucks you into the universe. It's like it actually looks like these people inhabit it, and it's just part of their lives and it makes it feel more real that blends in perfectly that thing you said blends in perfectly to the cyberpunk for me the the setting because it is the most i think the cyberpunk setting is the most possible future we're going to have we're not going to go to space we're not going to fight aliens but enough people are already already have you know uh not cyber arms but you know uh Prosthesis, that's the word. Prosthetics. And those prosthetics are getting better all the time. 
Nobody's willingly changing their body parts out yet, but it's very possible there will be a future that happens. Technology has gotten from, you know, room-sized computers to computers you can fit literally in the palm of your hand, and so why wouldn't you put it in your hand? So I think that's a much more possible future than any other sci-fi future, especially not Star Trek. And to set that, I want to read... I, I never do research, but I specifically got this. This is from the original Cyberpunk 2020 role-playing game, like Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop role-playing game, written in 1988 by Mike Pondsmith, who, it must be noted for this setting, is a black American. I'm just going to read this straight out without interrupting. It is now accepted among historical scholars that in the decades before the collapse, America suffered from the sickness of racism and cultural identity. Everyone wanted to be seen as special. Every group had to be equal to, or preferably better than its neighbors, and fought to protect its special rights. If anyone had something that someone else wanted, they were painted as racist, sexist, elitist, or worse. This divisive me-first attitude eventually tore the fabric of American culture apart and caused it to self-destruct in a fireball of competing ideologies, none of which truly recognized each other's validity. Diversity led inexorably to anarchy. That was written in 1988. Okay, you're really starting to freak me out. Because <laughs> that is <laughs> almost verbatim what is going on right now in this country. But He didn't intend to predict the future, but he accidentally did. Yes. My God, that's I had never heard that before. That is mm-hmm. disturbing in the accuracy <laughs> what's happening. So that's my why I love this. Because we're already in it, man. We are in the cyberpunk future. What kind of phone do you have? A smartphone. What kind? Uh, the Samsung, let's say, oh, Galaxy uh, S9? Uh, yeah, S, S20, yeah. Okay, so the previous model wasn't good enough, or you just got sick of it? Did you need a new phone, or did you want a new phone? Uh, this is kind of the, you don't have to answer, but that's the kind of idea. <laughs> it's like, as technology moves on, we move on with it. Whether or not we should, we do. So that's why I love the setting of Cyberpunk so much. Now, when they first announced the video game, which we're supposed to be talking about, I was very nonplussed because there was, I don't want to say hype yet. I don't want to overuse this word we're going to overuse. But it's because it's made from the CD Projekt Red, the people who made the Witcher series. And I really don't like the Witcher series. I liked playing Wild Hunt as a game. I enjoyed my time with it, and I probably would play it again when they do the next-gen upgrades. But, like, the setting just turned me off so much. I don't like any of the characters in The Witcher, and I don't like the drab, dour world. But if you take that same drab, dour world and put a sci-fi setting, suddenly I'm on board. Because I, I've mentioned before on this podcast, I like sci-fi way fucking more than I like fantasy. And there's also a little... I'm going to... I don't know about you, but I am going to definitely compare this contrast to stuff that happens in Witcher 3. But so there was a lot of... I don't know. I guess hype. Like expectation, excitement, because it's the same team that brought us Witcher 3. And it was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and scope creep. You see scope creep up and down this game. And then it finally, finally, finally releases after another delay. And it gets pretty good reviews, all things considered. But there's a severe issue in... Because it came out around the same time as these next-gen consoles, the Series S, X, and the PlayStation 5. But it's not... It wasn't at the time a native to those versions, which means you were playing the previous version. Xbox One and PS4. And there were... 
in some cases severe technical limitations. Some cases there were minor annoyances, in some cases it was like great game crashing bugs. So the reaction to this was, I can't say overwhelmingly negative, but extremely negative. And so much so that, you know, they eventually said, okay, you know what, if you want a refund, you can have it. But that whole process wasn't really a thing. It's a thing on GOG and maybe Steam, but it wasn't easy. To, it's not easy to do with Microsoft and Sony. Microsoft and Sony don't want to give you refunds for anything. I know I've tried in other games. They don't like it at all. So that's where we kind of were immediately post-release. Yeah, I mean, I especially, they don't like giving you refunds, especially when the developers themselves tell you, hey, not our fault. Go to Sony. Go to Microsoft for a refund. And those guys, those Sony and Microsoft are like, uh, you made the game. You released it. Why are you trying to pass the buck to us? That was one of my, uh, and I'm going to get into this. That was a mistake. I'm going to I'm going to get into this later. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have an argument about it or if you want me to talk about it. But I got to feel like I got to talk about some of the lead up to this game just a little bit. We're 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 at release, so go ahead and do your lead up. I mean, I'm not going to. I don't want to rag on it too much because I I could tell just by the build up you really enjoyed the game, and <laughs> I will tell you. I'll tell you how I feel about the game itself in a little bit, but okay. I feel like this release of this game really opened a lot of people's eyes on what CD Projekt Red was all about. Because I don't know if we've ever talked about some past shows or not, but their reputation as a developer was before the before Cyberpunk was released was as high as you can possibly imagine in this industry. About and around about two games, Witcher two and three, and which always amazed me because I thought Witcher two was garbage. Witcher three, I didn't is, much care for it. Witcher three is a fantastic game, but like you, I have never really gotten much really in sucked into the universe of Witcher for whatever reason. I probably it's most like it, most likely it's the characters and the magic system and whatnot, but neither here nor there. CD Projekt Red were, they were on the pantheon of game developers. I'd say it was probably them and Rockstar were up at the very top. And who've had a different fall from grace, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. But even, but even Rockstar has a lot of outspoken detractors just because of how much focus they've given on GTA online and, just how many resources they've they've put into that, and without mm-hmm. and not concentrating on what fans think they should be in the next installments of GTA or whatnot. But CD Projekt Red, they felt it felt like they could do no wrong. They their farts smelled like roses. Everything <laughs> they touched turned to gold. Just if if you talked bad about them or any of their games prior to. December of 2020, then you were just going to get downloaded and shot down to hell on any now, I have online to ask, form. I have to ask as objectively as possible as I can, is this really CDPR's fault, though? Because it's against like a community thing. It's like, is it Miyazaki's fault that people who play Dark Souls are such assholes? Okay, it's... Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, but I think, in this instance, well, a lot of their popularity is it's mostly the fans' fault. I'd say it's 95% fans fault and five percent the cd project reds because the fans 
built up this image of this company in their minds and CD Projekt Red, you know, why would they say otherwise? Why would they contradict yeah. that? Yeah. It's only going to help them help their sales. And it ha- it ultimately helped them with Cyberpunk, even with all the negative publicity and buildup to it. But they're not going to say anything. So, yes, the, yeah, this image that the fans built up for so long was just, it was, it was obnoxious, <laughs> in my opinion. And there was, obviously, there was just so much hype going into Cyberpunk. And it was out of control. And I'll admit, I bought into it a little bit myself. Because, like you, I love the actual, the setting. I love the cyberpunk world itself. I, mm. Like you said, it's it's the used future. It's grimy, but also ne- neon lights everywhere and high tech. And everywhere you look, there's everyday miracles and nobody gives a shit. It's fantastic. <laughs> it, it is highly, Pond Smith himself was influenced by, you know, as, as in making a game, stuff like Neuromancer and Blade Runner. And if you've ever see, read that book or seen the movie, you know, Android Dream of Electric Sheep. There's a lot of that in the book, and that a lot of that translates to the game in terms of just genre and setting and background. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, say what you will about anything else, CD Projekt Red, they, I think they nailed the feel of it, even though I know Poundsmith has gone on record saying this is not really, doesn't really match up with my vision of the game. He's not a game designer. He's a tabletop game designer, not a video game designer. Yeah, no, and I, but I, and I'm not trying to say it's I'm advocating for death of the author or anything like that. But I think I think CD Projekt Red, I think they knocked it out of the park with with just how this world looks. In fact, that's mm. that's my first note that I put on this game. It's just, and it I felt this way before when I saw concept art and trailers and images before the game came out. I still felt the same way when I you know when the end credits were rolling i just mm. i just love the way the game the game looked and it felt now a lot of that hype that i just talked about <laughs> now hype is obviously it's you know it's a double-edged sword yeah and a lot of times it's self-inflicted on the fan bases on the fan bases part they maybe see some concept art or watch a cinematic trailer, and then they'll just start jumping to conclusions. And if a game releases and it doesn't fit their image or their expectations, then that's their own fault, in my opinion. That's They don't deserve any of my pity or anybody else's pity. But the way this situation differs is that a lot of the hype was generated by CD Projekt Red themselves. Hmm. And I think a lot of it, it's going to sound weird. It, I, it's its their fault, but also kind of not their fault. I think it was sort of, I think a little bit was kind of a self-defense mechanism for trying to justify all the delays that this game had. Yeah. Because the more and more it got delayed, the more and more it became apparent that this is going to be a very, very graphically intensive, very technical game. And it's Mm -hmm. obviously those kind of endeavors take time. 
It, it's a lot of. Uh, this is a, I think we've talked about this briefly on the show, but scope creep—the idea of a, a, a game dev, usually a boss, will hey, what if we tried this? And then they add that to the game, which is like, well, it's going to take more time and money and effort, and it's going to delay the game even more. So, you know, it, starting with announcing that they bought the license far too early before they started development, and coming up with like CG shit. That let's be real here. There's a lot of CG stuff in the early days of Cyberpunk that is not in the game. Um. That's really annoying to me. Like that whole, even at the E3 where the, you know, Keanu Reeves wakes up, he's awake to fuck up Samurai. That's not in the game anywhere. Mm. There's a lot yeah. of third person cutscenes that they put that are in first person in the game. And, you know, I've said to you off air, it's like, I think this game was originally going to be like an Elder Scrolls where you could be in first and third because you can be in third while driving, but not in any other time. So it's like at some point during development, they said, okay, we can't make this first and third anymore for whatever reason. So it's only first. I have no proof of this, of course. This is just my speculation. Yeah, I talking to my ass, but because there's just there's there were so many articles written before and after the game release, but I feel like there was something to that effect. Like someone mentioned, like yeah, there was talks of being third person, but they you know somewhere down the, the development line, they made the decision to go all first person. In fact, they announced that, and I remember that was probably the first my first red flag with this game because I thought, man, because a big part of the cyberpunk setting is style over substance and it's all about appearance. So what good is it if I can't even see my own protagonist? Yeah, that, that still annoys me. I'll be real. I love the game, but that still really annoys me. Yeah. I, I'd like to see him in other, you know, other settings besides my pause menu or a mirror in my apartment. But, <laughs> Yeah, there were all these, and there were all these interviews and tweets from all kinds of employees in CD Projekt Red. It seemed like every time someone someone from the company was releasing a little tidbit or info about the game, it was somebody else, and that was also kind of a red flag for me because it it kind of gave up the vibe of too many cooks in the kitchen. I thought, okay, so are they just having board meetings every other day and just everybody's pitching ideas and they're saying, yep, we'll do that, 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 that. Yes, we'll do- that's how Scope Creep works, in fact. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll do all of this. And it eventually, I just became, I think it just became too much for them. And they got way in over their head. And eventually, they had a deadline saying, okay, you announced this game in 2012. It was a nice cinematic trailer. Got everybody hyped for it, but at that time, they were still developing their last major installment, The Witcher 3, and they didn't even, I think, I, I don't think they started development of this game until 2016, if I'm... Yes, that's correct. ...not mistaken, but they didn't release, they didn't release that info until way down the line. A lot yeah, of people were on the... because assumption- everyone thought they'd worked on this for, like, almost eight years. It's like, really, it's only, like, four. Yeah, yeah, people made the crazy assumption that when they announced the game, they were actually working on it. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, that is absolutely on CDPR. Yeah, they announced... We, all they had to say was, we have a license, we're going to make a game. But not, you know, we're making a game soon. <laughs> I guess everyone thought soon was sooner than it was. Yeah, yeah that's kind of my... Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a pet peeve for both of us when these developers will announce a game and then they'll just they'll justify it saying, well, we had a small... We had a B team working on this game while the A team was working on The Witcher 3. And it's like... 
no, no, don't announce a game until it's all hands on deck, in my opinion. Now, I understand from the other side why they do this, because every one of these fucking things, and to this day people don't understand, you have to understand, there are people with a lot of money, and they're like, okay, how can I make more money? Well, video games are popular. I'll invest in the making of a video game so that when it sells really well, I get that money back. So what happens throughout the web development is investors start asking questions. It's like, hey, when's my ROI? When am I getting a return on this investment here? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't give an answer. So you say, okay, here's where we're thinking we're going to release. And all the gamers who aren't on the other side, who have no, who have not put any capital investment into this game yet, say, sweet, the game's coming out X year. Well, I'm super hyped. And this scope, pre- scope creep happens and say, okay, we have to push it back. So they go to the investors and say, we need a little more money and a little more time because our vision isn't fully realized, whatever. And the investors say, okay, as long as the money comes in, it's fine. Now you go to the gamer side, instead of, okay, that's fine, it's vitriol, it's anger, it's annoyance, it's pissantry. And that happens, can you think of a single game in the last five years that hasn't been delayed for whatever asinine circumstance? That happens continuously. And there's no understanding it's always anger. It's always being upset. It's like, how dare you not give this thing that I haven't paid for any money yet? So that, absolute, that absolutely happened with Cyberpunk, where they're, they just... They, I can't say it came out too soon, but kind of came out too soon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that... <laughs> I think the whole debacle around the release kind of proved that point, but maybe I'm just going to be... sound like too optimistic, but... I still think the vitriol is mostly coming from a small, vo- very vocal minority. I hope. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I want to think that most fans on, of the 10, 11, 12 million, however many bought this game, would be understanding of the, of the constant delays just given the scope of the game. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even without all the overhype and all the overpromises and all of this just coming from CD Projekt Red and writers and other people in the industry and blow fans, whatever. You know, I do think a lot of people understand that, yeah, this, these kind of games, they take time. These big open world games, they're, there's a lot of moving parts. You move some, yeah. you move one thing. It may, it's like the butterfly effect. It may cause a tsunami over in the other part of the map or whatever may screw up all these these assets may go flying when you just change one little variable but yes you're right there's a yeah a lot of there's not a lot of understanding and patience from the video game side but i i actually debated trying to get my brother on to do this do this show because i i he absolutely he adores this game he played it pretty not too long after it released and he's been kind. Of, he's been trying to get me to play it for the better part of a year. You've held off waiting for that next gen upgrade. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. I don't know if that was my. That wasn't really my original intention. I just kind of wanted them to get rid of the bugs. But then they came out with a roadmap. You know, which everybody, every, every gamer wants to see after a game's been released. It's like, okay, here's a roadmap <laughs> for our single player game. And then they they that's when they announced that they were going to do a next gen upgrade. And I thought at that time, I think I had gotten my PS5 or committed to buying one. I thought, okay, 
I'll just wait till then. I got other games to play. It's fine. Sure. And I'm glad I did because I think they, I think they nailed the next gen upgrade. And it, it feels great. It plays great. It's I, on the PS5, it implements the adaptive triggers and the haptic feedback, which I did not expect at all. I thought it was just <laughs> not going enough to games be a, do. I was just I just thought it was maybe a graphics and performance upgrade, and it's it's one of the it's one of the few PS5 games where I think the I think those features in the controller actually enhance the experience. I hmm. love the feeling of firing guns or driving a vehicle and feeling. You know, feeling the kickback from a gun or feeling the car shift gears with the trigger. I thought it was great. They did a great job with the with that upgrade. It's so weird for me to say this because it's what the game should have been, but I don't know if it ever could have been. Like, did the problems push to make them better ultimately? Or was this, you know, an inevitability? We'll never know. And uh, Jason Shire can write all the articles he fucking wants. He'll never know. He's just full of shit. Fuck you, Jason Shire. <laughs> There's our episode of episode shout out to talk down to Jason shit Shire. Shit show Shire. That's who he is. Shit stirrer Shire. No, it's a that, that that's a good hypothetical, and I think I think the backlash probably caused them to probably cause CG Project Red to overcompensate in fixing mm-hmm. and finding the bug, identifying them and fixing the bugs. But I think I think if it if they had a little bit more time, they could have ironed out a lot of the issues, especially regarding the old older generation PS4 Xbox One. Um, but there's still. I saw, an, I saw an interview uh, a while back before the next gen upgrade. Of, I think it was like version 1.3 or whatever. One of the the Western Quest designers was like, "It's very humbling to see what's happened." It's like there's a lot of positive comments, but we also read all the negative comments, and it's very humble. It's like I think that's good. I think that's it's good to gain perspective that you know what maybe we're not the best thing since sliced bread sort of idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, think... you know, whether that's good for you know, this, the game itself, you know, for you personally, is like it's good to understand. You know, you're not going to be perfect. Y- yeah, no, I think I think ultimately, I think this will be a good experience overall for CD Projekt Red because. Like I was talking earlier, they were sitting on cloud nine, and we all know what, what we all know what comes before the fall. And they thought they could do no wrong, and yeah, I think it I think it opened up their eyes because it wasn't. Again, I, I going to contradict myself in the span of ten minutes, which I do on a <laughs> daily basis, but it's fine. I don't think it was a it was. It's still a vocal minority. It's not. It wasn't a fifty. I don't think it was a fifty-one percent of people saying I have game-breaking bugs, because mm-hmm. I don't think the game was in that bad of a state when it first came out. I can tell you, playing on Xbox One when it originally came out at launch, it was fine. Yes, I. I think a lot of. I think a lot of things were overblown by YouTube compilation videos mm-hmm. and. Twitter gifs of people having having these, for the most part, pretty harmless bugs, things you would expect in these, you know, big open world video games, and and it's it's something if 
something you come to expect with developers like Bethesda. It's just kind of one of those things. You you expect game crashes and giants knocking you into the lower stratosphere or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a, I think it was it was just kind of a slap in the face to some fans of CD Projekt Red because while The Witcher Three when it came out it also had some technical difficulties. It had game crashes had and whatnot. Unreadable text. No one remembers the tiny text. Oh, I remember the text, and, my, and more importantly, <laughs> my optometrist remembers the text because <laughs> I swear I probably damaged my eyes permanently trying to read that damn thing. I had to stop playing the game for a while. I was like, I can't read anything. I have this 48-inch TV. I can't read a goddamn thing. But Luckily, no small text in Cyberpunk. But and but but I think, you know, in that Witcher 3, I still think it's, it, it is a fantastic game. I love it. And a lot of people loved it. I like playing it. Yes. So some people, I, I think just some fans were just confused that Cyberpunk kind of felt like a step down and full disclosure again i still think witcher 3 is probably a better game than cyberpunk or i think it's they did a better job i think it's still their their uh magnum opus if you will but hmm. now having said all that well yeah you know that all in this in this discussion we haven't talked about the game yet <laughs> yeah well first off and we're not going to talk about it just yet but uh in a few minutes here but now saying Talking about all that, going back to what I was saying about hype and how fans build themselves up and they, you know, just they go wild with their imaginations and when things don't maybe go as planned or what they were expecting, then it's all it's they're just it's all hate and it's all negative comments on the internet and it's just well, whatever. I don't like I said I don't I don't feel bad for those people at all. It's their own fault. But a lot of the hype was built up by CD Projekt Red. Those employees that I talked about earlier that were mm-hmm. giving interviews and going on Twitter, social media, saying, okay, we're going to have this in the game, we're going to have that in the game, it's going to be, the map is going to be this big, they're going to be this many cars, they're going to have this customized, these this many customizable parts, you're going to have customizable guns, interchangeable parts, multiple apartments, wall running, wall scaling, cybernetic enhancements, cosmetic enhancements, yada, 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 just, I mean, it was just getting so bloated with all the features that were being promised for this game. Yeah. And it was not from fans. These were actual people working on the game and working in the company saying all this. And then the game came out and a lot of that stuff was not in the game and spoilers. It's still not in the game. Now they did they have added some stuff over the past year and a half or whatnot. But a lot of that hype that was generated by the company, it's it kind of got unfulfilled. And that's ultimately was my main my main issue behind the whole circus of the release of this game. Mm-hmm. Was it wasn't just the fans. Because like I said, if the fans hype themselves up and the game is not what they wanted, then too bad. Suck it up. That's just the way it is. Life's not fair. But yeah, when these yeah when these developers start promising things, and then it's just like, oh yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be bigger than sliced bread, or we're gonna be bigger than the Beatles, who were bigger than Jesus. So <laughs> we're you know, bigger than tra- bread. 
Yes, by transitory property, we're bigger than Jesus. But, yeah, that's it. And that's still, it, it was 100% unacceptable in my opinion. It's, it, I don't think, if any, if Cyberpunk, or excuse me, CD Projekt Red can take any lesson from this experience, that's the one they need to take. They need to not announce these games so early, and if you t- say something's going to be in your game, you better damn well put it in your game. Otherwise, don't yeah. say anything at all. Just let the fans' imaginations go out, go out of wild. Now, having said all that, I'm going to give my opinion of game. I thought it was fucking fantastic. I loved Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, thank a, God! Hold it's my a breath great, for 20 minutes. It's a great game. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to. I didn't. I didn't mean to. No, 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 no. Hang you, up you, there you and for I, so long, but uh, off air for a year, we've been having this like I don't want to say fight because we have been arguing about it, but. I've been pushing this, like, no, man, this game's great. I don't give a shit. And you're like, developer said to us, I don't know what you're talking about. They were saying things. And you know what? They did. They they absolutely did. And especially Pavel Suarto, whatever his name is, he's super guilty of this. But he's, like, the biggest dude in the room in terms of things. I've seen him on live streams before where, you know, a, a developer who's trying to explain something going on with the game, he'll interrupt them to speak about what, what fucking ever is in his brain at the time. It's like, man, just let him talk, please. So he was a big culprit of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I had, like I said, I had some arguments with my brothers too because he absolutely loved the game, and I I could only, I my only thoughts on the game I could only were, I could only give from what I had heard and what was other people were talking about with the game because I had not experienced it at the time, mm-hmm. and my brother is, he's a you know computer software engineer, so he's you know he's very very biased. Towards... So he's playing on PC with Mac settings, is what you're saying? Yeah, pretty. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, but he's also that. That means he's more sympathetic towards the developer side. And me being a, a big advocate for the devil's advocate role, I decided to. There were times where I kind of intentionally poked the bear and just said, "Well, you know, it's not because he he would say the biz, you know, the the business side." of people, the investors, they were the ones putting all these unrealistic expectations and deadlines on the, on the developers. And it wasn't fair to them and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's probably true. They, like you said, they want to see an, an inevitable return on their investment. They're not just going to let it get delayed forever and ever and ever and ever. They just, they eventually, they, they're, they they got to have the baby. They can't just have labor pains all the time. That might be a little better, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, my, in my in my argument with, with my brother was the actual president and vice president, I think it might just be the vice president, but they basically started the company. They were the developers. They know mm-hmm. what goes into the process of making these games and what's realistic and what are what's unrealistic as far as expectations go. So when they go to an investors meeting, a stockholders meeting and say, oh yeah, we're going to, yeah, don't worry guys. It, it'll be totally worth your investment. We're going to have this, this, and this in a game. And we've been interviewing with IGN and all these publications and telling people, telling fans on social media that all this stuff's going to be there and it's just, everybody's excited. So we're going to sell millions and millions of copies. It's going to be, it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. You're going to love it. So the, of course the businessmen are going to 
they're going to get excited and see dollar signs in their head, you know, in their eyes and whatnot. So I think I, I think it was just I think it was plenty of blame to go around within the actual happenings of the company. So yeah, this is a lesson. This is ultimately a lesson about management. It's about resource, both resource and business management in terms of managing money and expectations and time and people. Yeah, they definitely. I think CD Projekt Red. I think they they just bit off a little bit more than they can chew. And I think it's got to a point in the development cycle where the left hand didn't want talking to the right hand, one yeah. hand being development, other being management, and yada, yada. Uh, but anyway, that's my piece with that, uh, with the whole lead up. Now, the game itself, like I said, I ended up really, really, really enjoying it. It's was, you know, I talked about love, how much I love the setting, and that just... That definitely that definitely helps when I'm yes. trying to immerse myself into a world. But what definitely also just kind of sealed the deal for me was just the side quest, the main quest for the most part, uh, and the characters. I thought mm-hmm. all those things were fantastic. I th- it those He's very were, fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I was I was so glad to see that what they did right in The Witcher Three, what I feel what were their greatest strengths were writing interesting storylines and characters and develop developing them in an interesting and realistic way was what made that game great and it was what made Cyberpunk great. And I was really happy to see that trend continue with, with this game. And another thing or one thing I will say that Cyberpunk had over Witcher, while I ended up growing to like Geralt in The Witcher, <laughs> I loved V. I thought V was fantastic as a protagonist. And I mostly... It probably helps because I played him mostly as just a just giant smartass for most of the Sarcastic game. dickbag, yeah. Yeah. And I thought the... Voice actors perform. I played male V, or uh, V with a male voice, I should say. Yes. And I thought the VA did a fantastic job. I'm a terrible reviewer because I did not look up his actual name. I don't remember. Uh, it. <laughs> but he did a great job. I've I've not played as female V, but I know Jeremy I Lee's previous works, and I have no doubt she also did a fantastic job. There, no, I don't want to. I guess, I guess we're basically spoiling the game, but there's a lot of, especially after the big act one turnabout where you get uh, Johnny Silverhand in your brain, and towards the end of the game, there's a lot of emotional depth from the from V. A lot of outpouring of emotion about this, you know, absolute terror that they're dying, Mm -hmm. and you definitely feel that, and it's not like something you as a player can control, really. Yeah, that's and that's one of my what's one of my notes about V as a protagonist that I made that they felt very very human mm-hmm. as the as the game went on because they had V had very very realistic fears. He yeah. he had this he had this terrorist this this futuristic punk ass terrorist in his head <laughs> who tried to kill him with his own body first off or melt his brain. And was eventually just going to override his psyche 
that's that'd be terrifying for anybody not just the thought of dying but a lot of the fear of dying comes from the fact that from the unknown and that we may not retain who we are after the fact whereas v he knew that was going to happen and that was doubly scary for him and it really really shapes your interactions and relationship with johnny as the game Mm -hmm. unfolds it at least it did with me because and i think i i think it probably a lot of players had the same uh same experience with johnny is that he is a giant dick bag yeah just when because like i said first his first impression first interaction with him is is not favorable because he tries to kill v uh, but then he seems to kind of mellow out thanks to all the drugs. What's her name? Misty gives you <laughs> to suppress yes. him, his personality. And, but he's still just, he's just an asshole. He's just, he's just constantly questioning these motives and decisions. Uh, just belittling everybody, even people who were supporters of him and his band back in the day. <laughs> Like he, there's a side question where you meet his samurai's the band his Johnny's band's right. biggest fan and he's selling memorabilia and whatnot and Johnny's like, God, what a fucking chode or no gonk, what a fucking gonk, gonk. man. Gonk is the word for dork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the lingo in this game was a little hit or miss in my in my eyes. Oh, I, I got all of it. I got all of it through context clues. So I was I was all on board. It's preem. Yeah, no, no. I, I I'm saying I did. I understood them, like you said, through context eventually over the time, but I'm just saying from just an aesthetically pleasing sound. <laughs> Some of them just look how, sounded look dumb. How, but. I'll say, look, look, listen to how stupid our language is now. You know what mid is, right? You know when something is cringe? These are stupid yeah. words to use, but mm-hmm. we use them and we understand what they mean. Or dank, yeah. No, you're yeah. absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's... But yeah, yeah, just just hearing different lingo was it was just it was kind of funny, but but yeah, he's just he, he's just talking down to about everybody, and he just he yeah. hates everybody, and he, and he hates he hates corpos, but Arasaka in particular, and you don't really get a satisfactory, satisfying motive or reason why. The only thing I can think of is that they kidnapped his girl, Alt, mm-hmm. but he was already pissed off at Arasaka before that. He was already terrorizing before that, so... They're in the... I don't know if you remember, but after you do the four main jobs before you move on, you have a little conversations with them, and then it takes you to the apartment where you get his old dog tags or whatever, if you recall this. Mm-hmm. He mentions fighting in one of the corporate wars, and that's how he lost his arm. And all this, so that that's where because he was a soldier, and it, I guess disillusionment led to aggression, really. Yeah, I guess that would be kind of the big kind of that would be obviously that would uh that would explain his 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 hatred and his toward and his actions towards corporals in general. But he just he had a just a really big hard on for Arasaka in particular, <laughs> and I guess. Maybe because they were like the biggest and baddest corpo out there yeah. is is all I can think of, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe he thought 
taking them out might create a domino effect and eventually all of them will crumble one way or another and then there will be an uprising finally people will take back the country or whatever world whatever i don't even know if it went that far not to get too philosophical here but i think it's more of a an impulse control problem like johnny has no impulse control mm-hmm. yeah and there's a mission late game where you're like all right let me take over real quick i'll go talk to rogue you know like okay v's telling you is like all right you're gonna go immediately talk to rogue and we'll go do stuff so he's like pop the other pill and johnny comes out and he's like okay time to get fucked up so you go for a night on the town, you get in fights, you hit on prostitutes, you get you drink one million drinks. And then even though you do eventually go to Rogue, you as a player don't see that. And you're not in control of any of this. Yeah. Which is, you know, genius in the way of design. And so by the time you finally get back to the end, it's like Johnny is like, see, I went and talked to Rogue. Like I said, I was going out. And it's like, this guy doesn't doesn't think about consequence. He just does. Yeah. No, he's very much the Joker and the dog chasing after the car. <laughs> and that was actually, that was a really, really funny, really funny moment. Yeah. Like you said, I think it was really well done because I knew it was coming. Cause I, <laughs> like I, I knew what Johnny, I know who Johnny was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just let me take control of your body and I'll just, I'll just have this one conversation with the rogue 10 minute conversation. And then you'll be back in control. I thought, no, he's going to go live it up. And sure enough. Yeah. He's, <laughs> You know, taking taking hookers home and getting in car wrecks and yeah, it was just a mess and it was it was it was wonderful to see that because it was really hilarious to I that that was another that was another part of the voice actor Ravi's performance that I think he did really well is imitating Keanu Reeves kind of wooden expression and, and tone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you, with his own I don't, voice. I don't hate Keanu in this game. He does fine. Here's the here's the real real trick of the thing. He's not a voice actor. He, he isn't. No. If you had hired a real voice actor like Shermai Lee or whoever does the male V to do the Johnny Silverhand, it probably would have been better. But we got Keanu Reeves. We might as well use him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's Keanu is Keanu. He, he is what it is. I I don't know enough about acting and performances to know whether he's a he's good at emotives and expressions if he's considered a decent actor in that regard but his his tone and it's just and it's yeah like you said his voice acting is especially very flat so but that's just yeah like you said all that's that's who he is yeah that's who they got yeah. and he just it, it you know, love him or hate him. You know, I, I've I've learned to like him because he's been in movies that I've really liked, and I don't mind his performance. But, and I think there were, I think there were times where he just he really he did a he did a good. You could you could actually imagine him as Johnny Silverhand. He just mm-hmm. it felt like okay, that's it's almost like Pawn Smith. You know, he he envisioned Keanu Reeves being being him. Now I don't know if well, I could actually- ever. Okay, I can tell you right now, no. Because if you look at the Johnny Silverhand, the character's on the cover of the original Cyberpunk 2020 book. He doesn't look anything like that. He doesn't have long hair. He doesn't have a beard. Also, it must be noted for posterity's sake, his name isn't actually Johnny Silverhand. That's his stage name because he's a rocker boy. That's the class. Mm-hmm. His real name is Robert John Linda. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten his actual, his actual name. They do say it in the game, but yeah, it was just... Like, well, wow, no wonder you changed your name or just went with Johnny. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think they're, 
I really did enjoy watching their relationship un, unfold as as the game progressed, and mm-hmm. I ended up growing to like Johnny as a character because now it's it's kind of hard to say for sure because you can obviously you can choose different dialogue options for V and Johnny in some in some cases when he takes over for V. Right. But I do like to think that overall he him and V ended up growing closer. You know, <laughs> becoming so brain friends, so to speak. Yeah, like yeah, like I think Johnny genuinely wanted to help V get out of this predicament without getting him killed or yeah. <laughs> turning his brain We've into seen this We've seen this idea in two other games, uh, Arkham uh, Arkham Knight, Batman Arkham Knight, where the Joker is inside Batman's brain, and it's not really in Batman's control, and he never ever talks to him until the end part with the first person bit. Mm-hmm. So Joker is just constantly making making jokes and commentating. Uh, a more a closer thing is the relationship between Talion and Celebrimbor from Middle Earth: Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor, where he's inside him and he does things for him, but they're always fighting and arguing and. You know, the elf is always being hoity-toity, as elves always are in every fiction. And so th- th- it starts, V and Johnny start very antagonistic. By the end, it's kind of like, you know, we're getting along to get along. And by the end of it, you know, it's like, well, you're both, your brain's kind of fucked. He's already dead. You know, the ship's taken over. Should he take over your body? Because it's already going to happen. You're going to die anyways, or... You just like totally reject him. Is like, no, dude, I don't care. This is still my body. You're the foreign invader here. But it's just one of those things you just get used to. You just get used to him being around. So you can't think of an idea when he. You can't think of a time when he's not around. Yeah, and that's. I think that's how I. That's how I ultimately played my V. Where I. I like Johnny. He. I. He. He. I learned to. Well, not maybe not love him, but you know, <laughs> tolerate. Well, tolerate him, got used to him, and like him, you know, like him in some instances. But yeah, ultimately, I was just, I was, I thought of him as kind of just like a virus. Yeah, you're, I'm the host. You're invading my body. You're trying to take yeah. over. I want to get you out of here, preferably, but without erasing you. And then, although there was the whole, the philosophical conversation of, <laughs> is he really Johnny Silverhand? Is, is it his soul? What or is, is he what is just... the soul? Does this unit have a soul? Yeah, is is he's obviously a digital construct. It's not the real Johnny, but is it? Is it like what what constitutes a soul? Is it just someone's mm-hmm. personality engrammed? And is it ethical to delete it or override it or install it in a new body or for yeah. that? construct to take over a pre-existing body it, do, it does raise a lot of really interesting philosophical ideas whether or not they intended to they certainly did yeah and i don't think my my opinion didn't really waver too much but it was interesting that they had yeah they they did address those those issues because because yeah I, I wanted him out but i just i wanted to see if there was a alternate path to Maybe not just crushing the chip like in the end of Tales of Borderlands, where Handsome Jack's <laughs> invading the body of the main protagonist. Yeah, that Reese was definitely and... antagonistic. That was not helpful at all. And every fucking girl who writes fix about Handsome Jack fucking Reese, fuck you. You're terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really awful. 
I would like to talk about the actual video game, if I may. <laughs> something oh, I really crazy talk. something I really didn't like first, because I, I'm being overwhelmingly negative, just gushing with love. Something that sucks about Cyberpunk 2077 that is not objective, it is fact. Or subjective, it's objective. The driving fucking sucks. <laughs> I play a lot of racing games, so I'm well aware of what good driving controls are and what bad driving controls are. The driving controls in 77 are horrid. They're terrible. It's some of the worst oversteer I've ever seen in a non-racing game. Watch Dogs 1 had better driving than this. What the fuck, guys? Yeah, it didn't feel great. It definitely took some getting used to, and even by the end, I I found myself just driving around a motorcycle more and more. Yeah, bikes are way more controllable. Yeah, not even bothering with cars, because... Yeah, the the crappier cars you kind of expect not to handle that great, but even some of the the really really nice sportsy cars, still, even when you were pre- are preparing for a sharp turn and you slow down and brake, you'll still slam into a wall occasionally. It's like okay, let's go with the bikes here, much easier. Yeah, over just and they give you that's the other my other major negative. They give you too many cars. You do a certain amount of job for effects, and be like, hey, here's a reward, a car you have to buy. I was like, okay, well, how many of these? They're like 30. And there's a trophy if you care about getting them all. It's like, why the fuck would I need 30 cars? There are so many, and they just, they all cost so much money. So many eddies. I just thought, I can't <laughs> afford these. The, ga- the games of the side quest already give you decent cars as it is. So I, yeah. think, I, I think I only ended up buying, from all of the fixer text uh, car deals, I think I only just bu- ended up buying one. That was it. <laughs> The other ones I just got from side gigs and jobs and stuff. Uh, the other issue is weapons. And not how they control, but the fact there are so many of them. Every single enemy you kill will drop a weapon. Sometimes it'll be a pistol, sometimes an SMG, sometimes an LMG, sometimes a, a bat, sometimes a sword. But they, every single one of them do it. And it gets annoying to have to, you know, battlefield loot. This happened a ton in Witcher 3 as well, and I didn't like it then either. It's like you go into a camp, you kill everyone in it, you pick up all their swords. It's like, what the fuck am I going to do with all these swords? I guess sell them. Okay, where am I going to go sell them? I got to go find a merchant. Oh, the merchant doesn't have enough gold. Fuck, I'm just stuck with this club I can't sell or use. So that was also a problem in Cyberpunk. It's, okay, I've got all these guns. I'm never going to use them. I guess I could break them down for crafting, but what I really need is money. So I go to a box and I sell them, and you know, at least that's made simpler. What I really think the game excels in, over Witcher 3 specifically, is quest reporting. I have played so many video games where I am given a thing to do by an NPC. I go do the thing, and then I have to make my ass all the way back over to that NPC to say, Hey, I did the thing! JRPGs do that. Western RPGs do that. Non-RPG games do this. It's a minor annoyance, but I've seen it in so many things it becomes a major annoyance. So in Cyberpunk, when you get a call from a fixer, it's like, Hey V, I saw you passed by this building. You weren't intending to go there, but you passed by this building. Can you stop by that building, kill everyone in it, and upload a virus into their computer real quick for me, please? Like, hell yeah, I'll do it. You go in there, get shit done, and depending on the mission, it takes two minutes, it takes 20 minutes, whatever. You leave the building and say, yo, I did it. It's like, cool, let me wire you the money. And that's it. And I love that because I don't have to go to where they are every single fucking time. How many goddamn times in The Witcher 3 where it's like, hey, is there a contract on that griffin? Uh, no. Okay, well, I'd like to take the contract on the Griffin. Okay, here's how much I'll pay you. Oh, will you pay me a little more money? 
And then you go and kill the fucking griffin after getting the amount of potions, getting the right stupid sword, to getting all the goddamn oil. You kill the fucking griffin. You come all the way back with your broke-ass weapons, your broke-ass armor. It's like, I killed the griffin. Cool, here's the money. Okay, bye. Horrible. Now, in fairness to the Witcher and those... That, that kind of quest design is that it kind of you kind of have the excuse where Geralt does not have a smartphone and he, <laughs> he can't he can't get calls from contractors telling him to go you know slay, slay another lurker or whatever and he's friends with women who make magic portals <laughs> ah yes but there's a lore lore explanation for that too he hates portals <laughs> But yes, it is. It, it's it's very convenient in Cyberpunk. Although it yes. felt, it did feel kind of uh, insulting and somewhat rich when <laughs> there were times where I the stealth approach failed and I just said fuck it and just went balls to the wall and just just sure. blasted everything into a smithereen. And then I would leave the area and the fixer would call me and say, "Well, that wasn't as clean as I'd like, but I guess here here's still your payment." And I thought <laughs> you called me, okay? I'm doing a favor for you, so who cares as long as I get the job done. But that definitely I was made very, everything very more efficient. I was very stealth. I surprised myself with how stealthy I was the first playthrough. It's like I tried hard. I didn't spend. That's the other thing. I didn't spend any points in cool or the what was then called stealth is now called ninjutsu. I just did it like brute force. I put all my points in net hacking or net running. Excuse me, net hacking. And uh, so I would just you know manual stealth. It's like okay, I'm gonna sneak. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to get this guy behind his neck. And then, okay, cool. And then we move on to the next guy. And I do the, whatever the fixer hired me to do. I leave the same way I came in. It takes longer, sure. But to me, it's so much more satisfying to be like, I just went in there, got done, nobody caught me, and I got paid for it. It's, that's it's such instant gratifying feedback. Exactly the kind of thing I want from a game. You, you are literally a ninja. Plus, yes. plus in that way, <laughs> you, you don't have to kill everybody. And then spend 10 minutes going around trying Picking to find up all the guns. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Try to find all the loot. <laughs> One thing, uh, that I wish they implemented that was in the last type of game, like this type of game that I played. And that was the outer worlds. I played for first time last year and that game, you can, any weapon or item you see out in the wild, you can instantly break down for components, crafting materials and whatnot. I really wish that was in this game because crafting so is it is worthwhile is in this game. Kind of because you can put enough points into crafting that it'll automatically turn junk you pick up into craft materials, but not weapons or mods or anything. You have to manually do that. Yeah, see, it, I and I did get that. I did get that uh, that ability, but I would have preferred it if you could do it for all the guns and whatnot and the gear. To, oh my, the freaking clothes and stuff because. After yeah, a while, lot. yeah. After a while, I just stopped. If if it didn't have a green arrow, I just didn't. I just didn't bother. You finally came up. around to my philosophy of green, good, red, bad. <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes it doesn't always work with guns because different gun types have different, you know, rates of you know firing rates and DPS mm-hmm. and all that. But anyway. is it a power? Is it a smart? Is it a tech? Yeah. I'm kind of surprised they never they never put in some way to, uh, like transmog your appearance. Because they have that, they have that in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Because there are some, oh my god, I don't think I sent you any of my media that I that I recorded with, or took photos of in Cyberpunk. But there was one point, there was a big chunk of the game, probably like probably eight or nine hours, just something like that, where 
I was literally wearing a turquoise t-shirt, <laughs> short shorts, sneakers, like Skechers, and a baseball cap turned backwards with sunglasses. I had a, I had a neon blue cowboy hat and pink short shorts for the longest time. And I was rocking that because it was probably the same reason you did. It was probably the the highest armor rating of all yep. all the shit you found. It's a first-person game. I don't have to look at this stupid hat. I know, but every time I pause the menu, I just say, yeah, this is this is the cyberpunk Merc badass of the future right here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This is the best the best fix the best uh, the best Merc in the entire city. And I am. It, it is a great feeling of progression. Because, you know, you start with shit jobs, but you get better and better jobs. And by the time you're in city center and Dino's calling you for stuff, it's like, don't get caught. You know, don't get in a fight. It's like, okay, no problem. You're a shadow. You know, you move in there, do whatever needs to be done, and get out. And it's like, good job, V. Here's 20,000 of these. And that is great, that uh, the idea of they're calling you because they know you're the best. And you know you're the best. Yeah. This, this... And you've proven it by doing so many jobs. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I, it. It definitely felt like the scale of the the job difficulties did increase, and some of that has to do with the 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 territories, the areas in the game, uh, the beginning areas. Obviously, they're just it's it's the uh, uh, maelstrom Watson. is the first game that you run into, yeah. and they're just very aggressive and unorganized, and they're just a they're basically just futuristic druggy drug addicts and whatnot. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very easy to take them out but as you progress then the gangs start getting more deadly and ha- uh, have better equipment better cyberware better guns all that good stuff yeah you got to change your tactics up and if you prove yourself against them then yeah you, like you said you get you start getting the harder jobs and expectations start getting higher from there but mm-hmm. yeah you do it is nice to see your well it's your street cred uh, the one of the also, one of the the other XP bar, yeah, yeah, the other XP bar you get. It's in that that'll unlock a lot of things for you. What vehicles are available? What guns, equipment, all that? What jobs are available? All that good stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I was I was kind of surprised how much how I enjoy just the side gigs because they are just there's meant to be distractions for the most part, just a way to mm-hmm. add, earn a little bit of extra cash. But yeah, you know, quite a few of them actually had some really good world uh, world storytelling and even you know they would have some interesting lore behind them too and you wouldn't even have to most of the time you wouldn't have to read every single log poach which I did not in this game I I read quite a few I read quite a few but as the game went on I, I stopped reading less and less but I think the side jobs are what really Real, are, are really be, a big standout mm-hmm. in this game. Uh, some of them are given to you I, by no good. Some of them are given to you by fixers. Some you just find a lot of the stuff you just find in the world. It's like you find fast travel boxes. You pass by a building, someone will call you. It's like, hey, if you go in that building, it's like, okay, sure. Or you know, you'll get a call. It's like, hey, I heard you're the guy to who gets shit done. Can you come over to my penthouse apartment so we can I can hire you to spy on a guy? It's like, all right, sure. It's it's not. Uh, again, Witcher. You know, you go to the signboard and it's like, what jobs are available? This job, this job, this job, this job. Okay, I'll take them all. Yeah, it did. Whether it was intentionally intentionally designed the way or not, but it did feel, it did feel like 
you were a mark of the future where you would get jobs from employers you never never even met before. Mm-hmm. It's just they heard about you from word of mouth or your reputation gets so large that they it uh, you come to their attention and you can't you don't even have to you can go to their location and meet them but a lot of them yeah like Regina and Mr. Hands and whatnot yeah you don't even really meet them I mean you, I think you go to Regina eventually to get a quest reward but yeah yes. that was yeah it's it it did feel like what a Mercs in the future's life would be like. Yeah, these aren't these aren't your friends. They're just people who give you jobs. Mm-hmm. But you do you, get. You friends. said you had. You do get a lot of friends. Everybody loves V, unless you're on his, unless you're a target. Uh, you said you had specific side quests you want to talk about. Yeah, uh, I think for the most part, a lot of them were are were pretty 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 good, but there were some great ones mixed in there and. I think some of my let's talk about a few of my favorites. My first was uh, with the copy run into Rivers or River and River, I, River Ward. Yes, yeah, River Ward, and yeah, he's just, he's got the you know he's big bulky guy and he's got this cybernetic eye, he got Terminator eye, and but he you you learn he's pretty you know pretty good guy. He's a clean cop. He wants things done the right way and kind of a little stereotypical where he just he doesn't get along with his superiors and there's corruption and he's just trying to mm, he, trying to fight the system yeah yeah, yeah he's he plays by his own rules yada yada all that but kind of develop a kind of a mutual respect with him and his quest line when he he gets your help in finding his nephew who's missing and it seems pretty you know, pretty standard from that, but as you learn more and more, his nephew gets kidnapped by this sexual predator, and then you eventually find him, and he's basically kidnapping these boys, and... There were many times during that particular side quest I went, man, this is fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah, there were there were a bunch... Of, yeah, there were a bunch of side quests in this game where I would had that same reaction, and this one especially, where he's basically raising these these poor kids as livestock and you go rescue them. And yeah, it's like in the guy's already, by the time you get the quest, the guy's already in a coma. He's been, you know, he, that's how, what it leads up to. It's just kind of like, Oh yeah, this guy, you know, police apprehended this guy, shot him. He's paralyzed. He's a, he's a vegetable now. So it's like you're experiencing the aftermath of this guy's, heinous horrible crimes mm-hmm. and i guess depending on what you tell river will i guess will change what he does with the guy responsible I, I i ended up just telling him hey yeah the guy's the guy's gonna be bedridden for this his life he probably didn't have much time anyways what what good is it taking revenge on him but right. i think there's an option to say yeah fuck that guy kill him Smoke him <laughs> or whatever but that was awesome and another one of my favorites was uh, before like as adjacent to that it, it should be mentioned you played as male v i played as female v in the first playthrough uh river is a huge flirt if you're a woman mm-hmm. i was already in a relationship with judy alvarez and i was kept waiting for the game to give me the opportunity to turn him down and it took a very long time of flirty talk before i finally said can we just be friends 
I was like, I would like this earlier, this option, mm-hmm. so he didn't always flirt with me because it's kind of annoying. Now I know what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, never, never experienced that in real life, so I can't <laughs> no. relate, unfortunately. But uh, I like Judy as Julie. Judy was great as well. I played as a male V, so I tried flirting with her, and man, she shot me down cold. It was <laughs> like not even no hesitation, just took the knife and just cut me deep, said, don't, don't go there, man. Don't go there. And I thought, okay, that's all right. We'll just, we'll just be buddies. And I really liked her underwater mission of uh, going mm-hmm. to, to her old town that got flooded, which was another fucked up thing. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we don't want to, we don't like to look at this town anymore. We're just going to flood it. If you're still in it too bad. And again, if you're a female V, there's a lot more flirty dialogue for that. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. That might, yeah, that might be v- worth it eventually if I ever uh, play v- female V playthrough. But because uh, I liked River, but uh, I like Judy a little bit more. Hmm. And but I also liked. Oh yeah, a lot of the a lot of the jobs would start one way and then they would just go off in a completely unexpected direction. And I think the the big example of that was the one I can hardly remember how it started it basically you get this job from this guy who wants revenge on this convict that just got released because he killed his wife and he doesn't think he deserves to live and the guy doesn't have much of a plan and you end up running into the the convict and he has a bodyguard and the bodyguard if you let him ends up killing the guy who contracted the job and then the convict is this really, really fruity, talkative guy who asks you to come along for the ride. And, I, and at this point, I'm thinking, okay, I guess. And then you learn he's basically a born-again Christian, and he wants to recreate the crucifixion scene to inspire people, make it into a brain dance, basically their virtual reality videos social media videos or whatnot and mm-hmm. it, it, the whole time you're just i'm thinking and v's probably thinking this guy's a fucking whack job i don't know how did i get myself roped into this <laughs> and i just wanted to cap the guy but a part of me wanted to see how it all would play out and you got this producer who's basically she doesn't all she cares about is just the hits and the potential revenue stream that this brain brain dance may produce, and she also you can tell she thinks she's nuts. He uh, the the ex con thinks he's is nuts, but she's going along with it just to you know just for the eddies and all that good stuff. And I I played it all out way all the way out to the end. I went to his uh, the house of one of his victims where the sister had forgiven him and helped him uh, on the path to becoming a Christian. But the, uh, the guy's mother that he killed was not as forgiving. And I thought, and that is, you know, you hear about that sometimes where people will there, there'll be a family member of a victim of a heinous crime like that murder. And yeah, They'll find it themselves to forget to to forgive the victim, and 
I've always thought, because you don't really know how you're going to react in certain situations until that it hmm. happens to you, but I don't know if I could ever be like that. I don't know if I could ever forgive someone like that. And the older I get, I kind of realize that I think it's more, I think some people are that forgiving and that good of a person, but I think it's also a lot to do with them as what well, their own well-being and mental health as well, mm-hmm. because sure, hold, holding on to that kind of hate and that, that can make you sick. But anyways, I, I, uh, played out the whole, <laughs> the whole sick thing and nailed him to the cross while reciting from the Bible. And I thought the whole time when I was playing it, I thought this is fucking nuts. This is just, <laughs> it was making me uncomfortable. And then he just you sit, sit there, wait till he bleeds out and dies. And the producer chick with the bad hairdos, like, Hey, your eddies are, they're on the way. It's like, okay, yeah. that's it then. Just another gig. Yeah. Just another gig so, in the life of V. <laughs> You describe something I've never seen. So here's what happened to me. I did the same thing. I got in the convoy with the dude. We went up to the dude. We're going to go confront him in the police convoy. I got too close to the cop. He starts shooting. Kills the quest giver. Starts shooting at me. I now have a wand level, and I run away, and I don't complete this quest. <laughs> oh, really? Did you not even kill the bodyguard? No, I didn't. I didn't even go close to the car. Damn. I've never seen the guy. I have no idea what he looks like or what, any of these things you're describing. Yeah, I kind of... Oh, man, I can't remember the name of the quest uh, right off. Man. Off the top of my head. But, it's probably a uh, musical reference. <laughs> it, I don't remember if it was uh, It was a reference to, to any music, but a lot of them are. A lot of the quests in this game are, but... Uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a really fucked up storyline. Another fucked up side quest... <laughs> and and probably might be the contender for my favorite was I I cannot remember the guy's name, but it's the guy who's basically running for mayor and his wife contacts. Oh, you. Jefferson, yes. Um and you go to you, you go to his apartment and get a job and it's like, Yeah, we think someone broke in. Could you investigate things? And V's like, Okay, yeah, sure. Check things out. And then suddenly it's the Manchurian candidate. Yes! I was like, oh, and they, there's a secret <laughs> room in their apartment, and there's all this monitoring equipment in there, and they, you learn that the security company they hired is spying on them, and that they're somehow affecting their brain waves to, to change their personalities and preferences and think a certain way, and it's just, oh my god, that... That one was so messed up, and it was. It did you was, tell him the truth at the end? I did. Yeah, I. Yeah. I uh, I understood what Elizabeth was coming from, but I thought, man, this is just. A guy deserves to know the truth of what's going on. Can't let him live this way. You know, whether it's, you know, a wise decision or not. I just. I felt like he needed to know, and you tell him, and then he's just. He, obviously, he's just a paranoid basket case at that point, and. <laughs> And it, honestly, it kind of, I thought there was going to be more to it because the last thing in the quest that I know of, if you tell him the truth, you're in the, you know, you're in the park and he's just, he just, you ask him what his next move's going to be. And he just says, I don't know. I'm just going to try and wait for the right opportunity and try to make my move and do something. And I think he tells you he's going to contact you later, but I don't remember. No. 
and but he just kind of goes off from there. And I kept I kept expecting a call from him for and to there to be some conclusion to it. But that that was it, really. That's it. Now you get some closure when at the in the end credits when you're kind of jumping ahead, but you kind of you you get these calls or video recordings from all the people that you've met along the way, you know, asking how you are and what you're doing and giving you their best well wishes and whatnot. You actually get one from him and he looks yeah, different. And he's uh, a total basket case. Yes. He's sitting in the dark, dark room. He's just, he's super fidgety, he's super nervous. And he's just looking around. He's, he's, you, you, you know, things have not changed for him and gotten better, but he's, <laughs> I just felt I felt so bad for the guy. I thought, oh my gosh, it's, it's just and his you know it's his like, wife, okay. you know his wife's not going to help. She's just going to she's just going to perpetuate. It's like, oh, I think she's in on it. Yeah, she's against me. It's like, oh man. Well, next time I'll lie to you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I. That might have been that might be better overall, but it's it's one of those things. I just couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it. I thought this is just it's not right. But that was a great one. Yeah. And I also uh, that one that one I was able to play until completion. Unlike Kenny Uridine's Carrie Uridine stuff, uh, towards the end of the game, yeah, like you said earlier, Johnny, you know, you get back to Johnny's old bandmates, and you go do a couple of jobs for them that aren't too major, except for uh, Carrie Uridine's, his lead guitarist, who goes off to have a solo career, and he's has his own rock star problems and. It continues on and on. But I did that so late game. I didn't do every single gig for every single fixer, but I did it most of them. So he's like, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. And a lot of times in this game where you'll do a thing for an, a major NPC and then he's like, wait six hours, wait 80 hours, wait two days. And I kept waiting for Kerry to call for the follow-up for the next gig, and he never fucking called. And I, I, I finally broke and I looked it up. It takes over a week for him to call from that job to the next one where you infiltrate the us cracks thing. So I never did it. Because I just got sick of waiting. I went to the finale. I was like, I'm not going to... I have nothing else to do here. I'm not going to go down and do every single side hustle in this game. I just want to be done with it, Carrie. So I never finished his quest line. I did everyone else's, though. Yeah, I had the, I had the exact same issue with the same quest line. Uh, I think I might have gotten a little farther in it than you did. I was... I got to the point where I recruited all the members and I had to pick between the last two. Uh, the chick with the fro and then the crazy asshole who yeah. filled her pool with cement which was hilarious. The drummer or the bassist yes. Yeah. And I went with the chick because I thought it'd be balanced that way. Two guys two girls. Plus she was hotter. And after that I was supposed to get a call from one of the other band members to set up the gig and I it said just wait a day and I'll call you and yeah played like six seven more hours weeks and weeks of game time had passed and I never heard from her so yeah, it, it bugged out for me as well. Eventually, no, it did. It didn't, but it didn't bug for me. I just got sick of waiting. Like he, he Carrie is literally supposed to call you after seven days, but I wasn't gonna wait in game seven days because <laughs> I had nothing oh, else to okay. do really. Yeah, because yeah. I, I didn't. I did enough. I did enough. I was like, all right, it's time to finish this bastard. Let's go. To, let's go see what's her name in the Arasaka Tower. Yeah. Now mine definitely bugged because it hmm. said in the the mission description. Wait one day for so and so's call. Uh, the other, the chick who was organizing the event, and yeah, like I said, a lot of in-game days pass, and I never, never, never heard from her. So, 
just said, okay, well, that's it. <laughs> the biggest glitch I had wasn't game-breaking, but it was very annoying. Uh, you do a lot of back-and-forth switching with Johnny, especially late game. And every time you would switch over, I have a black bar at the bottom of my screen. And even when you switch back to V, it never went away. And even if I fast traveled, did anything, or rested, and it was still there. So I had to, I did the save load. It's like, save wherever you are, immediately load that save file, it would be gone. But, you know, when you're doing the, that band quest line, you're switching back and forth between Johnny a lot. So that black bar kept popping up for me. I'm like, son of a bitch, I could do this again. And you can't save or stop when you're playing as Johnny, so you have to... Just kind of play his whole bit with that bar at the bottom. Really annoying. Yeah, I had a pretty annoying glitch that happened several times where I'd be in a car as a passenger and an NPC would be driving. And it'd be during a quest and they'd be talking. And all of a sudden, in the middle of their sentence, they would just disappear. And having me. Yeah, no. And the crazy thing is their dialogue would stop, but V would keep talking. As if the conversation <laughs> was happening. Yeah, it happened. The first time I experienced it was with Pan Am. Got it was trying to it was getting her vehicle back from a gang or whatever, and then we're driving off to somewhere else to some other location to you know get back to this guy that screwed her over. And yeah, she just disappears in the middle of her sentence, and then yeah, V just keeps talking like nothing's wrong, and eventually I had to reload it so she could actually load her model could load in and I could actually progress with the quest. And luckily that was enough to fix it. But that was, I guess I never had that. that was, I guess, I guess you could say that was as close to a game breaking glitch as I got. I didn't get any crashes <laughs> because like I said earlier, no, never crashed. yeah, technically this, the, uh, it was ran pretty well. There was obviously there was some standard stuff, texture pops, pop ins and whatnot. And NPCs floating above ground and, uh, uh, one of my favorites were, were an NPC would literally just disappear in front of me. Not a, not a quest giver or anything, anybody important, just somebody on the sidewalk. I'd be walking towards them and they would just vanish like a ghost. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But You know what always happened to me is because I, I mentioned I sneak a lot in this game, so I'm always crouched. And it's, uh, on the Xbox, it's a B or a circle button. But that's also the skip dialogue button. So I would still be sneaking, and then I would be talking to someone suddenly, mm -hmm. and I'd be trying to sneak. Yes. Yeah, I did that <laughs> I all like, the time. Let me stand up. Oh, oops. Nope. I guess I'm crouching. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, I can't believe that didn't get fixed because I did that all the time. I <laughs> I would be skipping dialogue, and I thought, what the hell? Oh, I'm crouched, of course. Try to stand up. Nope. Sorry. Skip. Skip. I just. I would... At that point, you rebind the key, I guess. Yeah, or just spend half the game talking to NPCs crashed on the floor. Oh, yeah, don't <laughs> mind me down here. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think I think the jobs are definitely, the side jobs especially, are the, are the highlights of the game. And, okay. Yeah, no problem. This is Internet's Worst Podcast you've been listening to. This one's been running a little longer than usual, but... We appreciate you taking the time and spending the day with us. How are you? Oh, really? Yeah, it's. I heard it's beautiful this time of year. Okay, sorry about that. Edit all this out. Oh, you got to keep it when I say at least. Actually, probably not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just the interruption. <laughs>
That's all good. But uh, I don't know if we talked about gameplay yet in this game. <laughs> I, I don't think this we... Is so, this, this is a triple-stopped episode at this point. Uh, Let it... me tell you, so, I, I was going to touch on one aspect that really hit for me. Um, I put a lot of points into net running and uh, quick quick hacking. That's what it's called. And so my favorite thing to do was a couple on a, come on a group of gangoons or whatever, and I would never take out a weapon. I would just look at them, and they would die. So I'm looking at you, I put out the quick hack, and I overheat, and you die. And I look at you, and I overload the quick hack to fuck with you, and you die. And I look at you, and you overload the quick hack, and you die. And I'm just like, without having to take out any weapons, I took out this whole group of dudes and disabled the camera and all this other shit, made stuff explode. Yeah, and I just did it all with my brain. I was like, oh, this is the best thing ever. I didn't have yeah. to use any resources. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the cyberware options were definitely a lot of fun in this game. Because, like you, I did not plan on being really a stealthy <laughs> character, but... Because I put all my I put all in my initial points when creating my character into body and reflexes, which is basically health and you know, gun stats and whatnot. shoot gun better. Yes, but I like we talked about earlier, it just seemed more beneficial to go in quietly and just you know take out a few guards and then complete your objective and get out of there, be like a badass ninja into the night. There are so many options. Like I finally I discovered double jump and I was like, oh fuck, I'm gonna double jump everywhere now. Mm-hmm. There's there's optic camo. There's mantis blades. There's a thing where you can slow down time, like in the Matrix. There's a fucking thing where you can have basically overload all your senses in berserk mode. There's a, a high fall, like in Deus Ex. You can shoot shit out of your body. There's giant fucking arms. You can punch the shit out of dudes. There's so much options. That's yeah. That's that's one thing I I had an issue with, and I don't know if they have done it this way it might have made you a little too overpowered but i wish you could have changed your cyberware deck on the fly instead of yeah, having on to go your own, instead of having to go to a dock and pay for it every time yeah yeah because there'd be times where i would you know take the stealthy approach going into a into an area but if then shit went to the fan i would have loved to be able to bust out my berserk and just wreck wreck everybody's shit but mm-hmm. you can't do that unfortunately you just gotta stick with the loadout you got I didn't even know optic camo. I don't know what they call it, but I didn't know optic camo was an option in the game until I was almost done with the game. I discovered it way late in Voodoo Boy's territory, and I was like, "Oh fuck! I wish I had this 20 hours ago. It's been great." Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty high end, high yeah. end stuff. There's a lot of cyberware mods I didn't find. There's a lot of guns I didn't find were and didn't never use. There were, yeah, like you said, there were a lot of options for uh, for engagements. Mm-hmm. I think Which the, is part yeah. of the part of the reason I love it is the absolute freedom of you know whether or not somebody calls you and says you killed too many people who cares, but the option of we have a task for you how you complete that task is entirely up to you it's going to end the same way. Yeah, I did love how they just kind of if you go in and take the the loud approach and kill everybody, every, you know everybody in a in an enclosure or whatnot and you get a call from the fixer. And they're wagging their finger at you like, you can do better than this V. There's no, you, you still get the same amount of eddies, so there's no, yeah, there's much. no real difference or consequences or anything. But some mis- some missions will specify ahead of time, but most don't. I say like ninety percent of them don't. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, yeah, require you to not be seen or whatnot. And those are definitely, those are like the higher end gigs we talked about as mm-hmm. you progress. And I really liked the, uh, most of the guns themselves. I think most of them felt really really good uh, especially the smart guns I ended up really really enjoying I wish they were a little more powerful but I think that definitely would have made them 
overpowered. Way overpowered, sure. It's yeah. like, well, I've decided to play Wanted, the game. Because mm-hmm. my bullets are going to curve, and I'm going to hide here, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, that would have made things a little too easy, but they were they were still fun. I, I liked how there were smart weapons of every kind. There were smart pistols, there were smart submachine guns, salt rifles, smart shotguns. The only ones I didn't, only kind of guns I didn't use too much were the, I, I think it was technical, I think they're classified as. The ones you have to charge, tech weapons, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm never a big fan of those in games that you have to charge up. Because there's, you know, times I'm charging up a weapon, I'm getting shot. And I could be shooting back and ending the threat quicker. Instead, I'm sitting here charging up my gun. And What was it? Malawan Borderlands 3? That's what it is? I hate those guns. Uh, yeah, was it? Yes, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they, some of them, yeah, Malawan, some of them charge up or take a second and, but those are like, the ones that need to charge up are usually like a continuous laser beam or something. So it's a little understandable, but yeah, I didn't use those too much, but oh my God, it, it might have, Johnny's pistol was probably my favorite gun in the game. <laughs> First off, the animation... It's a the, hand cannon. The, the little hand cannon. The flourish is badass when you're reloading it. When you're shooting, it sounds like a literal cannon in your hands. It does tremendous damage, especially if you <laughs> upgrade it enough times, which I did. It was my go-to. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I <laughs> kind of touched on this earlier with Johnny, over kind of his personality overriding fees as the game went on. And they definitely succeeded that, I think, both from a story standpoint and from gameplay, because there was a time where I was wearing his jacket, wearing his shirt, his glasses, using his gun, driving his Porsche. I was literally turning, V was turning into Johnny Silverhand, and I was like, whoa, dang. It is his jacket jacket and gun on the cover of the game, so... Yeah, plus his, his Porsche is awesome. His gun is amazing. It's just it's, they, they intentionally made all of his shit good. So you you would, at some point, you would start using it and then maybe come to that revelation like I did. Where it's it's like, like, yeah, oh, I, maybe I do want to be Johnny Silverhand. Oh yeah. Gosh. And then after that, I made an intentional choice to change my clothes, change what car I was driving, <laughs> but I still kept the gun. That gun's badass. I wasn't giving that up. I think I, I, maybe if I had played, not to get philosophical again, but maybe if I would played male V instead of female V first playthrough, I would have been more in line with the whole Johnny idea. Because, spoilers, at some point you go on a, a ostensibly a date with Rogue. And you're making out on top of his car. And then she interrupts you because it's too awkward. And she's like, it's not fair to V who's inhabiting your body, even though Johnny's the overriding personality at this part. And I'm thinking, because I'm playing this as a girl, I was like, it's because I don't have the right parts, right? Like if I was male V, you'd be totally into this. Nah, she still has the same reaction with male V. Ah. She's <laughs> she's just kind of like, no, no, we can't do this. And it made me feel bad for V as well. And that, and even though I was totally putting the moves on her as Johnny, Johnny V. And uh, that's something I forgot to ask you earlier when we were talking about the quest where he takes over for that that time. Does he try to pick up? Does he just pick up? female strippers or did he try to pick up a dude because i kind of wonder like johnny kind of strikes me as one of those guys like where he's just he's just fuck it fuck the consequences but he also kind of adapts to his his situation he's like hey i'm in a chick's body i'm gonna learn what it's like to fuck a dude there is 
I guess canonically he was bi, sort of. Because if you, if you have a lot of deep conversations with Carrie Uridine, it's like, they never went all the way, but they did a lot of flirting. Mm-hmm. So he, he's kind of gay in the way, like, David Bowie was kind of gay. Or Mick Jagger, yeah. Sort of, yeah, just not as... Not as androgynistic, so to speak. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Swing, you know, kind of hints at swinging that you know, way. But. You know who should have been gay or bi? It was Penny and Palmer. Should have been bi. They hardline you to these four relationships you can have. You can be straight man, straight woman, uh, gay with woman with gay, whatever, whatever. But there's no person that goes both ways, like an Asari in Mass Effect. Like everyone's heteronormative or homonormative, I guess. Yeah, it is. It is interesting in a game where you can have a chick with a dick or a guy with a vag, where they take a hard stance on nope. These characters have this sexual preference and nothing else. That's it. Those are your choices. It's like, it, it's like Panam is very flirty, and I know you romanced her as male V, but you can't romance her as female V. But you can still have the same flirty dialogue. She acts basically the same as like. We're not sealing the deal here. Why are you talking to me like this? <laughs> when you're in that sandstorm in the hotel and you're getting foot rubs and shit. It's like, so are we going to do anything about this? And she's like, no, no, I'm not into that. Like, well, what the fuck then? Yeah, I, it was very interesting when I learned that because it's kind of the same way with Judy and Male V. There were, there were times where she was kind of sending me signals and yeah, you still share some intimate moments with her. But like I said earlier, I tried to, I when she was right before you take that uh, underwater adventure with her and she's in the wetsuit and my male V's like, damn, you look good in that. She just gives him that hard glare. Says, Don't go there. That, okay, that's it. And I guess it, <laughs> I, I, I assume that all of the love potential love interests have some sort of line like that where if you're not their, their preferred gender, then they, they mm-hmm. just shut you down cold like that. But everything else is still the same, which is a little disappointing. I think they could have. They could. They could have gone all Dragon Age and made everyone buy. I mean, I guess that pleases the most amount of people. Yeah, I would honestly. It'd probably be more work if they did it my way. I, the way I would prefer it is just change up dialogue depending on what gender you are. Oh, yes, give them more things to do. Yes, yes. <laughs> just when I was complained for half an hour that they did too much, I don't think they did enough. <laughs> no, I actually do agree with it because because then I could shut down River earlier. Because he's flirting me all the way up to that water tower. And it's like, you need to stop, like, immediately, dude. And if, you, if I were able to stop you, the last quest is even better. I just wasn't given an opportunity. Yeah, now that I think about it, it's kind of weird that Pan Am acts that way. Because I don't remember River being flirty with my male V. I mean, he was he was friendly. And maybe I just had my hetero glasses on, as some people <laughs> call it. And I just wasn't seeing it that way. But Now, to put glasses on it, maybe it's because... I see it that way because I don't, you know, ever he's a dude and he whatever. I see the thing on your eye. You're no Garrus. You're just a guy. (laughs) But I really, really like Judy as a character and aesthetically. And I really like Panam as a character and aesthetically, shall we say. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm biased that way. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of my, my uh, perception of that interaction with River did, were because I'm a heterosexual man and just because I'm a heterosexual man maybe really appreciate my interactions with Pan Am. I thought she was <laughs> a fantastic character. Just a fantastic character in general. It made me re- it made it really easy for me to want to romance her 
because I knew I knew going in, I was kind of spoiled that she's like the only really hetero option for a male V. But mm-hmm. if they were just gonna have one, I think they did it. I I think they did it really really right. Did a really good job. Also, I think uh, I want to. Sorry, I'm forced you to wrap this up. But I think it has the best ending too. I, I kind of went for the best of both worlds, where I was able. To, I left with the nomads for my ending with Panam, but I was a female, so I brought Judy along. So oh, really? she did her whole life, and yeah, she did her life in Night City, and she's like, "Well, I guess I'm going with you and the nomads." I was like, "Sweet, I get the best. I get the best the two hot chicks." Apparently, nice. if you pick that nomad path, you can't. River and Carrie, who is the two male romantic partners, won't leave Night City with you. So it's kind of bullshit. It's like you leave with the girls and leave the boys stay in town. That's a, uh, at least for River, that's kind of understandable because his family's still there and he made a he wants to make a commitment to spend more time with them and be there yeah. with them. But uh, yeah, that's a little disappointing. I didn't know Carrie was the uh, was the male. Well, yeah, you have to finish option. his you have to finish his quest. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Gay, yeah. you, even if I wanted to, I couldn't have uh, hooked up with him, but. <laughs> it glitched out but yeah i think uh i i with judy i with mine what ended up happening was i i think the tiger claws came back and killed everybody else at clouds ah, you, uh, so you went independent yes yeah went independent didn't take uh was it mycos is it uh yes the, yeah the, the the bitch she i did not <laughs> i did not side with her i did not strike i'm did not strike a deal with her, even though, in the back of my mind, I've played enough games in that are story dri- and choice driven to know. Okay, the game wants me to side with her, even though I hate her guts and she's totally selfish <laughs> and self-serving. But I think things at Clouds will probably end up better if I side with her. But I just can't bring myself to to do I that. See. So I turned on her and killed everybody in that room, and then everybody at Clouds ends up dying and. Judy's all depressed, and she, but I think she ends up having a pretty good ending on her on her own because she leaves for Oregon and goes back to her grandparents, and you get mm. some calls from her, and she says, "I'm in a much better place now. I just had to get out of Night City. There was nothing left for me, and it just chewed sure. me up and spat me out. And uh, yeah, to kind of yeah wrap my thoughts on the story, I think it that's that's basically the ending of these journeys, whereas the beginning is. He he's going to Night City. He wants to become a legend, become a legendary mark that everybody's talking about for years and years and years. And I think at the end, I think it makes the most sense and is the best story thematically that you go to Night City. It's not anything you imagine it would be. Everything and everybody hate here hates you and wants to kill you. <laughs> and the few people that you do grow close to end up also either dying or like Judy and River just kind of just get swallowed up by the city and it's darker yeah. elements and there's there's nothing glorious or glamorous about it at all. And even the legends, as you learn with your interaction with Johnny, even they're just huge selfish assholes and they have their own agendas and they get propped up by the inhabitants of night city, but they're all just, they're, they're terrorists, they're murderers and all that. That's all they are in the end. And I, it, I chose the nomad origin story 
And I think I had a really perfect ending where I ended up romancing Pan Am and leaving with the Nomad. And it felt like I was coming full circle as a character. Yeah, sure. Where I was, beginning of the game, I was leaving that Nomad lifestyle, going to Night City, making a name for myself. Things went to shit. I was literally fighting for my life every single second. All the people I cared about were either dying or being left on the wayside. And I was finally able to find a great woman and a good set of people that seemed to really genuinely care about V and was able to leave with them and hopefully find hope for a future. And I thought that was, that was really great. Is objective, objectively, it is subjectively the best ending. Cause the other ones are kind of in various ways of you're fucked, <laughs> which is not fair, but compare and contrast to the Witcher. It's like, okay, the, I played all the way through twice. The first time I accidentally without trying got the best ending where Siri becomes a Witcher and it's like happily ever after, and you continue the quest and continue whatever side quest you hadn't done until then, because the game lets you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second time I played through, trying to get the same ending, I accidentally got the series The Empress, and everybody's kind of like, "Well, that fucking sucks." Ending. Yeah, that was the that was the first ending I ever got in Witcher Three, because I I didn't I didn't know going to see the Emperor was such a big deal. I guess I yeah. should have figured, but. She just feels obligated. It's like, well, I got to rule the whole continent now, and I can't be—I can't be out witching every night. I'm like, ah, well, what are you gonna do? And she's terrible. So at I don't her know job which things are still shitty. <laughs> I don't know which kind of ending I like because you know, a decade on from Mass Effect Three, of people are like, ah, pick your ending. It's like, well, do you want that or do you want the you picked the wrong dialogue choice five hours ago, so you're nothing you can do about it kind of ending. But I definitely don't. I like the open ending more. In terms of like a Skyrim or, you know, Witcher 3, where you finish the game, but you can still keep going. As opposed to something like Breath of the Wild and Cyberpunk, which you finish the game. Okay, we're loading an earlier save now before you did the final mission. You can do whatever. It's like, eh, that kind of cheapens it to me. Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't really mind it. I, like you, I from a gameplay standpoint, in big games like this, I do like the option to actually go back and finish some stuff up that I didn't get to beforehand. Because there are times where... We just got to, and I got to this point in this game where I just wanted to finish it up and see the ending and whatnot. Yeah, same. Uh, but that's one thing I, that's one thing I think is a weakness of this game. It doesn't really feel like there's an act three of this game. It's kind of no, like. No, there's a very, there's a very fast escalation in the, okay, there's a final mission. There really aren't that many main missions. Yeah, no, they're really not. And uh, one of the main characters you interact with in the main story, Takamura, bodyguard of the old. Arasaka exec and pre- president. Mm-hmm. You know, he loses his job and he's disgraced and he's a hunted ma- he's a hunted man and then you infiltrate the parade to try to talk to uh, Hanako, the guy, mm-hmm. old dead president's daughter and tell her the truth that his son, her brother, killed the killed their father and yada yada and then, but it's a trap and then Arasaka troopers come in, storm the hotel room you're in. And at that point, I thought I thought Takamura was dead. But there's an option. Yeah, you too. can go back and save him, which I didn't know. Didn't know. <laughs> so, and that actually changes things up for, potentially changes things up for the Arasaka ending, which is, I think subjectively and objectively, is the worst ending. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I hadn't, okay, I'll be 100% honest, Rio. I played many, 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 many hours. I've finished the game once with that Nomad ending. And I looked 
I didn't see video, but I've seen, I've read text, because I have a guide, of what happens in his other endings, including the super successful secret ending. But I didn't play them. I probably will because I do want to, like, platinum the game. Mm-hmm. So I'll get them eventually, but I've only got, officially got the Nomad ending. Yeah, I cheated and saved right before the point of no return notice, which... <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I wish it would be in more games. I, I love that they weren't a game Yeah, I do in. appreciate that, yes. Yes. But you go from you can't go back from here, so save or do missions or whatever you need to do. And I was able to go back and experience all of them. And I did them in order in the which I I felt I would enjoy the endings. So I did Arasaka first, get the worst over with last, and <laughs> I said, Thanks game, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> because that one, Takamura was dead in my playthrough, so basically nobody's on your side. You help Hanako I thought kill her brother Yorinobu, but instead did something much worse and implanted their father's personality in his body so that this old 150-year-old evil corporation president is still alive and kicking in a much younger body, and you're just stuck there on some medical bay in some space station overburning Earth, and you're going crazy with all these mundane tests over and over and over again and uh then they try to they say okay we can't help you. you're dying anyways like well thanks for that thanks for all the help and they're like well don't worry we can you can you can upload your personality in our huge databanks and i said fuck it going back to earth and that's it and then the second ending where you let johnny take over and infiltrate arasaka with rogue what had some highlights i it was it was nice that him and Roe got some closure, sure. although unfortunately she ultimately dies, killed by Adam Smasher. But it was it was nice to see the uh, Johnny have a final confront confront confrontation, excuse me, with Smasher. Uh, that was bad. That was a pretty cool badass moment. I ended up killing him, obviously, for that. So, of course. Um, and and then you can. I think you have two directions you can go from there. You can either have Johnny take over V, in which case he just becomes like he just becomes Johnny Silverhand again, but in V's body. So it's like and it that. So I hope you were a dude. <laughs> yeah, that definitely that definitely felt really really weird, and I was kind of uncomfortable. With it. Not as Arasaka uncomfortable, <laughs> Arasaka ending uncomfortable, but uh, still felt bad, but. It's interesting that these are two endings that it's a thing you're fighting against the whole time and you just accept. It's like you're fighting corporations the whole game and then it's like, well, I'm going to side with the corporations now. It's like you're fighting from becoming Johnny the whole time. It's like, well, I'm Johnny now. Yeah, the Arasaka ending definitely feels like the biggest middle finger to Johnny. Like, (laughs) I don't like corporations, but you hate them more and I hate you. So fuck you. I'm siding with Arasaka. (laughs) And... But another alternate kind of side end, sub-ending for the Johnny path. And I think technically you can also do it with another the other one where if you infiltrate with the Nomads is... Or no, no, yeah, yeah. Johnny does infiltrates Arasaka, takes it down, blah, blah, blah. And then V just kind of gets credit for it, even though Johnny was the one inhabiting his body during the gig. <laughs> so he becomes the ultimate merc of Night City, even well, though to he's be still... fair, how many people actually know that he's in his brain? Like six, maybe? Uh, not very many, yeah. But uh, and some of them are dead. And he... Yeah. 
he definitely has no qualms reaping the rewards. And that one was interesting because when you, when V regains control of his body, you wake up in this really, really lavish, huge apartment, this, uh, this suite, and Pan Am's there. And you see her, you first see her in the shower, um, which is very nice. But she's very cold. She's very distant. She's not talking very much. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? And it becomes apparent that V's gearing up for one last big job, you know, before he checks out. And he takes a shuttle and he goes into space. And you, then you see him put on a spacesuit and go outside, go out into space. And he's floating towards this giant suborbital suborbital casino that gets built that you don't that doesn't get referenced at all during the entire game except during this ending and he pulls out this pistol and while he's floating in space like he's just gonna start shooting the the space station or something and you you know you infer okay okay he's you know going to go for one big heist because everybody's telling him you can't you can't rob this casino you know it's just too big it's like it's not big for me v the merc <laughs> so that one was just kind of like okay i guess that's okay ending but the nomad i definitely feel is the best because there's at least there's yeah. hope you know you still sure yes it, it offers both closure and a good look for the future yeah you're still dying but there's still you know you're you're leaving night city you're leaving it all behind you're going with pan am and rest of the nomads and you're trying to look for a cure or whatnot so i thought that was the mm -hmm. best ending but yeah it ramps up a lot and oh yeah sorry about takamura if he does live you can actually help him take revenge against yori nobu which would have made the arasaka ending a lot better and then he's yeah, the one absolutely. that offers the option to upload your personality and brain into their arasaka database and it'd been nice if it was him even though i like takamura he's still He's still a slave to the corporation, you know, even yeah. when his boss is dead. It's just, it would have been nice to just tell him, sorry, man, I'm not like you. I like you, I respect you, but I'm my own man. I'm going to go out on my own terms. So, yeah, it just, it wraps up very, very quickly. That's for sure. Yeah. Again, it's one of those things where maybe someday we'll know how much content was really cut, how much was intended to be, and how much was never intended to be. Um, how much more they can add in DLC, whether or not it's free, which is a, a you know big point of contention right now. But uh, I think the game is in not a perfect state, but a much better state than when it launched, certainly. Uh, hopefully you've been able to see how why I gushed so much about it. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, asking you, sure. not the audience. You. Yes, yeah. You know, uh, for sure. Yeah, I ended up having a great experience with the game. I think... Yeah, I think going into it, I I think a lot of people would be better off experiencing this game for what it is, in that it's not it's not a game where you can just go into any building that you want and just do all these activity do as all these activities. There's just like so many side things to do. You can go on roller coasters and blah blah blah. That's not really what it is. It's more of a, an objective based game. Mm -hmm. where it's very character-driven and very story-driven. 
And I think now, how, more... how you accomplish that those objectives are up to you, but they're always going to be the same objectives. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, gameplay's same throughout. That's, but it's let's put it this way: it's more Far Cry than it is Breath of the Wild. I mean, it's a lot better than any Far Cry game I've ever played. That's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll agree to that. Yeah, uh, you're basically yeah just going from point to point, and uh, yeah, how you do things when you get to those points, like you said, that's up to you. But yeah, it's it just being able to experience the city and the characters in it was, and just the setting. And oh yeah, gosh, I didn't even talk about the music. the The score was <laughs> is it's fantastic. It's great. I I been listening to it constantly on Spotify ever since I played the game. Um, the radio songs, the stations, I didn't really get. They're okay. They're not bad. There are some some standouts there. There are no licensed tracks. It's all created for the game. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are are, are pretty good, but uh, I didn't I didn't really hear any that just blew me away or anything like that. But uh, yeah, they uh, they serve a purpose. But the original game score is is great. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is like, this is maybe the biggest episode we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, I can't believe we've uh, had this long, to be honest. And we could talk, honest to God, I could talk for literal hours about this game. There's so much shit we hadn't covered. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's you know, it lends itself to it because of the size. And this episode scope creeped on us, for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah, it, it had a lot of things bottled up and it was took a lo- quite a while to unpack, that's for sure. Yeah, whether or not we should have done this earlier is irrelevant because now we've done it. Uh, do you have anything else to wrap this up? No, I think uh, <laughs> I think uh, they've heard enough of us talking about it. I <laughs> I definitely go play it, play it, judge for yourself, decide for yourself. Yeah, I I think yeah. Final verdict: it, Cyberpunk twenty seven seventy is is a even with all the baggage, it's a it's a yeah. fantastic game. It's great. Yes, it was my game of the year, technically of twenty twenty bleeding over into 2021 when I played most of it. Uh, that's a, you know, I, yeah. oh, sorry, I was going to say, that's a good one. I hadn't, hadn't thought about it in the context of uh, games released that year. It'd probably be up there, that's for sure. I'd have to Because Because it was, it was FF7 Remake, right? Which I loved. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's like, was... oh man, I, I had more fun at Cyberpunk. And then it's like, you know, De- Deathloop we both really enjoyed, but let's not pretend Deathloop has the best story in the world or the best characters. Well, I think Deathloop was 2021, wasn't it? Yes, but I'm saying like it bleeds over. That's why I said. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, I get you now. Because that's, that's don't release a game in December for God's sake. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like movies that get released that late in the year. They're not eligible for the Academy Awards in January or whatnot. <laughs> uh, I think that's it for us. Finally, go play, go play Cyberpunk. Don't play Dark Souls. That's that's what the big takeaway from this <laughs> triple stuffed episode. XXL. Oh yeah, this is a this is a bigger, this is a, <laughs> a chunky boy. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, the you can find us on iTunes and Spotify as Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast. Uh, the website you have to put the W's internetsworst.com. I'm on Twitter at Loki Jarson. Sizzy is on a secret location on the dark web we can't talk about. I uh, on the, the Damon web on the Bart Moss net. Sorry, I was just gonna say I think I will soon be back on my normal at just as a handle on twitter all right cool because i think uh i think dorsey has learned his lesson i think i really stuck it to him again he sold the company last year you're not doing anything to him hey you just 
Hey, er the Arizaka president might be dead, but that doesn't mean Johnny's going to give up the fight. Hey, at Jack, you suck. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Goodbye. Yes, good night.